Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. It is uh, Wednesday, May seventeenth, two thousand seventeen. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful Northwest Pennsylvania. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us. And we enter into this new era, this new phase of reporting and investigation. And that's what we're that's what we're doing. Um, the uh, we have a new mandate. We we're we're throwing down the gauntlet. We are now um, putting it in overdrive. I got an email from someone who who said, you know, um, when I uh, this person was really it was interesting because a lot of comments about yesterday's show mirrored some of the emails that, that I got, and I got an email saying, I thought you were going to uh, back out, basically, you know, because it's getting so ugly out there. I thought you were going to get it back out. Well, no, 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 not at all. Never, never do that. Portions of Life's broadcast brought to you by Minuteman Stove, by the way. Minuteman Stove, folks. Uh, if you don't have one already, you need to get one. Minuteman Stove is the Cadillac of rocket stoves. Minuteman Stove. You know, there are 50 caliber ammo cans made in America uh, by Americans. They're fantastic. And I mean absolutely fantastic devices if you need to cook other than your conventional way on the stove. And you may be needing to do that, or perhaps you just like to camp. This is, regardless of the situation, this is the best stove for the money, the best stove for the purpose. Minuteman Rocket Stove, it's uh, it's got a uh, rubber seal, a gasket seal on the top. Again, a 50 caliber ammo can uh, with the refractory insulation. And uh, it travels clean, it stores clean, odor-free. And it directs the heat right where you need it. It is a fantastic, absolutely fantastic product. Minutemanstove.com. And when you go there, check out some of the other products they have, including their fire starters. Second to none, let me tell you. Second to none. And of course, their, Joe likes their, their cooking utensils, their pots and stuff, or pans, I should say, their, uh, uh, cast iron type, uh, pans. So, square grill package. That's, uh, you, you gotta check that out. Good stuff. Minutemanstove.com. Make sure you tell them the Hagman report sends you. Alright, um, and Joe, you and I, right before the show, we were talking about, of course, a, something that, we, that you and I have spoken about on this platform before. Mm-hmm. And that's the murder of Seth Bridge. Um, folks, file in. Take your seats. If you're listening at home, Grab a notebook. It's important stuff. It, 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 the, the very things that we have previously talked about on this show are being now talked about in the mainstream media. And as they're being discussed, they're being tamped down very hard by, well, shall we say, the usual suspects, the people on the left, the people who don't want this information to get out. Now, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, we are multi-state licensed private investigators. I've been one for 30 years. Actually, I think 30. 
two maybe. I, I, I don't know. A long time. Three decades. Well over three decades. And we have developed a lot of contacts. You read between the lines. I've never seen. Well, I have, but um, when you see this level of fright among people who have information, it's always interesting. Joe, you and I are going to go through this because I think this is the most important matter right now. Because at the crux of all this, think, ladies and gentlemen, think about this. At the crux of everything, the narrative, the basis for Russian hacking claims is what? The release, the wiki release of the emails, right? This whole Russian narrative issue with respect to Donald Trump, where did this originate? Where? Well, it began, at least in most accepted circles, it began with the leaks by the DNC, or from the DNC. Now, you will recall, perhaps you will recall, a couple of things here. WikiLeaks published emails, the Podesta emails, among others, DNC emails, that as a consequence, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was resigned, and the emails were suggestive, or more than that, they were showing proof, if you will, that there was an attempt or a very successful attempt to take Bernie Sanders off the top of the uh, Democratic ticket in favor of Hillary, Diane Rodham, the witch, the yak, Clinton. Do we have a yak up? We don't have a yak up. No, no. Eric Tech. Never want to see that again. Never want to see that again, Joe? No. No? All right. So at the epicenter of all of this is that Russian, at the epicenter of the, of the Russian narrative is of course this hack. Now, you will recall that, that James Comey had said to the DNC, show, show us the, the servers. We'll, we'll investigate. And the DNC said, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. In fact, we're going to bring in our own, uh, cybersecurity specialist. And that, of course, is CrowdStrike. Now, keep that in the back of your mind. Why is this all important to what's taking place today? Because this is going to serve, or this is serving as the uh, on-ramp to the impeachment. And and this is going to happen. They are going to attempt to impeach Donald J. Trump. And they're doing a good job of of really hitting him hard, uh, the leftist media. Okay? Doing a very good job of hitting him hard and polluting the his reputation among the American people, but here's now if I can, yes, real quick, I want to ahead. jump in because something else happened today that I found kind of interesting. But we'll get back to Seth Rich, to, back to the the Russia stuff that's been in the news. Yes. Putin made some comments that kind of went, yes. um, nobody really picked up on them. And uh, I like the way proof. he summarized. Yeah, he said he had proof and offers a transcript to people who believe Trump shared some kind of classified information. He said that... No, no those are two separate issues, but but they're connected. Right. But go ahead. But what Putin said, I, I found, um, you know, more accurate than what we find in our own media. He called it political schizophrenia and that Trump was not allowed to do his job properly. And then he goes on to say this. It's hard to imagine what else these people who generate so much nonsense and rubbish 
can dream up next. Yes. Uh, referring to media and U.S. unnamed U.S. politicians. What surprises me is that they are shaking up the domestic political situation using anti-Russian slogans. Either they don't understand the damage they are doing to their own country, in which case they are simply stupid, or they understand everything, in which case they are dangerous and corrupt. I thought that summarized pretty nicely what was actually happening. Yeah, in, indeed. In I, politics I, I, and in the media. And, and this is all part of the larger picture. And I do believe, based on my sources, my investigation, as well as open source uh, information that has already been discussed by a wide number of people, from uh, uh, Hannity to Limbaugh to Alex Jones and Roger Stone and other citizen journalists. Look, this is all over the new media, and it's beginning now to permeate, permeate the conservative media, as well as the liberal media or progressive media to the extent that they want this story just forever tamped out. So at the at the epicenter of this, of course, is the Russian narrative. Springing forth from that, of course, or as a consequence, uh, or at the, at the epicenter of that of, of that issue, is the DNC hack. I submit to you, the DNC was never hacked, which is why they refused to turn their servers over to the FBI for their inspection. Instead, they bring in CrowdStrike to do that for them. Now, here is the origins. So, if if they weren't hacked, where did this where did WikiLeaks get the emails? To be precise, and and if you've got a notepad, paper there, just take some notes here, because because this is this is raw investigative information sourced, not just and, and you you you. you I, I, I suppose you could probably piece this together open source, but this is all in one place. The DNC was, was well, let me back up here. Um, at issue, of course, is the hack versus a leak. A leak, of course, is much different than a hack. A hack suggests intrusion, intrusion into the computers. A leak, of course, uh, suggests that somebody within the DNC or close to somebody within the DNC had obtained, secured, perhaps put a thumb drive in a computer, downloaded um, a database of emails, and then give, get, given that those emails to, of course, WikiLeaks or an in- intermediary. And I submit this is exactly what happened. I believe, and, and this is, I'm going to give you my, my hypothesis, my professional opinion, based on a lot of research, a lot of investigation, a lot of conversations, believe me, a lot of conversations. People who don't want to go on the record, people who are saying, no, I, I can't do this. Um, but there are, there are people right now being thrown under the bus, proverbial bus right now, including but not limited to Rod Wheeler, who's the private investigator working on behalf of the South, family of South Rich, independent of the actual spokesman for the family. But here, but here's what I believe happened. I believe that Seth Rich, had a problem, more than one problem actually, at the DNC where he worked on computer programs to assist voters to, to, uh, uh, make it easier for, for people to get to the polls. That's, that was his job. But he was, Seth Rich was involved heavily in uh, the IT business. And by the way, folks, I'm very well aware of George Webb's investigation. I urge everyone to follow George Webb, W-E-B-B, on YouTube. Uh, he does touch on this, but this is a lot bigger and some of this information of course, comes from our own sources. So having said that, um, Seth Rich worked in the IT area 
with at the DNC. He had some problems, and he had observed, in my professional opinion, he had observed some uh, misbehavior, some fraud even, perhaps, within the DNC. And it centered around, um, it centered around the the uh, uh, the the activities of the upper echelon of the DNC. Think about that for a second. The upper echelon of the DNC, Democratic National Committee, and or and in addition to Hillary Clinton, were engaged in activities that that I believe Seth Rich found not just offensive, but perhaps criminal in nature. So, we ha- here's what we know. We know that 44,053 emails and 17,761 email attachments spanning from June of 2015 through May of 2016 were handed off to an individual in Washington, D.C., most likely via thumb drive or, you know, one of those, I guess they're called thumb drives. That individual had then given the thumb drive to um, Mr. McFadden, who had worked for, or who had uh, the co-founder of WikiLeaks, okay, McFadden, who has passed, since passed away from lung cancer at the age of 76. Those That data then made its way to WikiLeaks and WikiLeaks published the 44,053 emails and 17,761 email attachments. Based on everything I would, I've been able to determine, Seth Rich was the leaker, was the person who had taken the emails. Now, this is, again, understand this. This is my working hypothesis. I, I can I cannot tell you that this is fact. I cannot take this to a, the court a court of law. But this is my professional belief based on a lot of of backstory investigations and investigation and uh, contacts with sources. Seth Rich, I believe, had given this again to an intermediary. There's a couple of people involved here. Then to McFadden. From WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks got it, and hence the release of the emails. Email number. Uh, on February 22nd, 2015, email number 36082. You have to understand as well the backdrop to this. The DNC and the, well, the, the party itself and staffers and the administration had a problem with leaks back in, well, since day one. And it's been, it's been plaguing all, all administrations. But on February 22nd, 2015, email number 36082, you can look this up on WikiLeaks, John Podesta, from the desk of John Podesta, wrote to another individual about the leaks and about leakers. I'm definitely for making, I am definitely for making an example of a suspected leaker, whether or not we have any real basis for it. Did you hear what I just said? That's from John Podesta. A year, a year and four months prior, a year and five months really prior to the murder of Seth Rich. 
so they're having problems with leaks, then bam, they get hit with a huge leak, not a hack, but a leak. It's published by WikiLeaks. On July 10th, 2016, this is a condensed version. At 4.19 a.m., shortly before 4.19 a.m., the uh, shot, uh, what are are those called, the uh, shot spotters, Shot spotters in uh, in the Bloom uh, Bloomingdale neighborhood of Washington D.C. picked up some automatic gunfire, or I'm sorry, some semi-automatic gunfire. It is presumed gunfire to be sure. Some say it was semi-automatic, or perhaps a couple of shots in close succession. Police responded, arrived in the Bloomingdale neighborhood of Washington, D.C. at 4.19 a.m. on the morning of July 10, 2016, where they found Seth Conrad Rich, 27 years old, lying there with two shots in the back. He was shot twice in the back. Again, Seth Rich, an employee of the DNC, in their IT department, working to uh, working programming and code, and has uh, and had access to all of the computers servers as well. He was found to be conscious conscious at the time. Statements were made. I don't have 100% accuracy on this with respect to his level of uh, how coherent he actually was but one source within the uh, within the police department said, yeah, he was conscious. And in fact, conscious at the hospital. He was shot or found at 4.19 a.m., transported to the hospital where he was pronounced dead at 5.57 a.m. that morning. Now, it was the following month in August where Julian Assange from WikiLeaks implied that Seth Rich was in fact the source for the DNC leaks the emails he didn't say as much but my goodness if you look at the transcripts from the Assange interview with Sean Hannity and and memorialized elsewhere you'd have to be a complete moron not to understand what Assange is trying to tell you well Assange put up a reward, $20,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the murder or murderers. Republican lobbyist Jack Berkman put up 130000 There's like 150000 plus right now in rewards. Now, it's my understanding, based on conversations of earlier today, there are people listening to this broadcast right now who are, shall we say, within arm's reach of people who could very well provide information to collect that reward. Intentional pause. All right. Now, in August, also in August of 2016, Alice Kim the head of the, well, uh, the spokesperson for the Department of uh, D.C. Police Department had urged people to come forward as well. 
and provide information. Now, within 96 hours of the shooting, the FBI and the police department both had absolute verification from uh, once, once, uh, actually, just before Seth Rich expired. Oh, uh, I want to be careful with my terminology here. The police responded to Seth Rich's home in D.C., where they confiscated or secured a computer and other electronic devices. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. At which time they underwent forensic examination. This was by the FBI, not the D.C. police, but by the FBI they underwent for forensic examination. And it was confirmed, according to my sources, and I believe you're going to hear this on open source media. I, I don't know this to be a 100% fact, but I do know what my sources said. 100% verification that would link Seth Rich to the leaks of the 44,053 emails and 17,761 attachments to WikiLeaks with two hops in between. It's crazy. Okay, now hold on. It gets it's crazy. crazy. It gets too. worse. It gets worse. On August 11th, 2016, Seth Rich, their family spokesman, for the family spokesman for Seth, Seth Rich, uh, was named to be Brad Bauman. Brad Bauman happens to be, and listen to this, a professional democratic crisis PR consultant with the Pastorum Group. Did you hear me? Professional democratic PR crisis, or crisis PR consultant with the Pastorum Group. Heavily connected to the DNC. That's who the, the rich family spokesman is. Is that why you think the family, but what do you think the family's motivation is here to Look, dismiss I, the findings of the PI to, no, no, they didn't hire the PI. They, and that's another important fact. We haven't come to that yet. Uh, Rod Wheeler is the DCPI involved in the investigation. Former anyway. homicide detective. Former homicide detective in DC. Rod Wheeler is, was hired by a third party to act on behalf of the rich family who allegedly, now Rod Wheeler is not, let me tell you something, he's not stupid. He's absolutely not stupid. Uh, he entered into this contract. Um, he's not being paid by the rich fam- family because they don't have the money. And they also have Brad Bauman saying, eh, you know what, the police are doing a fine job, you know, stay out of it. And don't forget the, the timeline here. Um, again, I just want to remind people, July uh, 10th was when uh, Seth Rich was murdered. July 22nd, 2016, WikiLeaks published uh, additional internal DNC emails. And again, those, that set of emails was exposing the, uh, the DNC where they were swapping Sanders from the party nomination and resulted in, which resulted in the resignation of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, but I digress. And by the way, the DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz are being sued in a class action lawsuit. But again, that's just kind of anecdotal information or supplemental information. Um, and, and it's also important to understand too: the DNC never allowed the FBI to examine the DNC, uh, the, the computer servers. DNC instead hired CrowdStrike 
and CrowdStrike, and I just want to kind of follow this line and then get back to Bauman and Wheeler. Uh, DNC hired CrowdStrike, which said that Russia was involved in a hack, and that involved the Ukraine artillery. They allegedly had to walk that back, and bottom line is this. Um, their findings with respect to the hack of the DNC is, at best, questionable. Now, very quickly, I know we're running out of time, but folks, uh, Joe, yeah, two yeah I know. Okay. So, the, um, the situation is this with respect to Rod Wheeler. Rod Wheeler is, again, uh, the PI that's looking at this case uh, yesterday or the day before came out and said, uh, a, a source, a source, gear, you just verified exactly what I said with respect to the, uh, uh, to the forensic examination. However, the FBI told Rod Wheeler, look, the, the PI, Rod Wheeler, uh, the FBI said, hey, I, we don't know where the computers are or the computer and other devices are. We believe it's with the, with the DC police. The DC police said the same thing. We don't know where they are. We think the FBI has it. So no one knows where these computer, computers are or the devices are. Comey figures into this. Comey is, figures deeply into this. However, I'm going to just not go there. I'm going to be on uh, Alex Jones tomorrow, InfoWars tomorrow at 1 o'clock, uh, I, I, between now and, uh, well, with the next uh, uh, 14 hours, I should have some additional information on this. And whatever I do, I will be talking with, on the, uh, providing this on InfoWars platform. As well uh, as we can pick up yeah. uh, where we left off today for people who might not have time to, to get that information there tomorrow. Because this is really important yeah. to get all this out, and you did a good job of putting this together. I, 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 did that make sense, folks? I, Joe, I mean, yeah. But, but, but the the issue here, and is, the body camera footage from the police, the, the police report yes. showed that he was alive um, when the police found him, yes. unresponsive, not yes. even knowing he was shot, according to the police report. The oh, he, body camera footage was he knew something happened to me, and his right. his face was bruised, his his hands were bruised, knees indicative of a struggle. He was fighting. And then he turned around, apparently, to run away from his assailants, plural, and was shot twice in the back. But the police body camera footage is missing, as well as his computer has turned up missing. And that's all very suspect to me, um, as it should be to anybody with this kind of a high-profile case. It was high-profile since the day it happened. And I wonder what other information we can get, if any, um from the police, from the FBI, and as the PI said, basically, you're shut down at every turn when you bring up the DNC connections. When we come back, we'll be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. 
Kirkus Review states, readers of end times fiction will be hard pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. to this edition of the Hagman Hagman Report. Uh, just, to, just to recap some of the things that, uh, that I didn't mention, of course, the murder of Seth Conrad Rich, born January 3rd, 1989 to July 10th, 2016, age 27 at the time of his death. Um, the uh, the family is, or the family spokesman, let me just be clear on this, uh, uh, appears to be throwing the PI and others under the bus pretty heavily. Uh, by saying that, uh, that, uh, there's no evidence and the, you know, there's, this is the fodder of conspiracy theorists and a lot of people are, uh, picking up on that. And that's from family spokesman Brad Bauman. And I've dealt with a number of homicide victims and homicide cases in, in my day, uh, unsolved in particular. The emotions run high and, and a PI, you kind of have to, you got to understand, PIs are generally welcome in un, unsolved homicides. However, uh, there's, there's the family factor there. You've got to be very, very careful with the family. And knowing the reputation of this, uh, former DC homicide detector, Rod, detective Rod Wheeler, and the fact that what he said was, yeah, the feds have the information. Another, actually a federal source came out, and this was, uh, uh, 
subsequent to Rod Wheeler's statement, a federal source came out and verified the fact that that uh, the forensic analysis of Seth Rich's computer did verify the uh, uh, communications between WikiLeaks and their assignees, shall we say, and Seth Rich. That reference, and, and again, I've got to be careful here with the wording, reference the transfer of information from the DNC via Seth Rich to an intermediary, inter- intermediary to uh, McFadden, and then to Assange. Okay, now, uh, the, the same, or a federal source also stated to Rod Wheeler, that we were told, and I quote, we were told to stand down on this case. That's an excerpt from a statement uh, made to Rod Wheeler. The um, Rich family spokesman Brad Bauman, of course, now is is really on the um, is really pushing this, you know, pu- pushing this conspiracy theory. This is a conspiracy theory. This is all fodder. However, the information is strong. On the other side, and I, I must say this, the stakes are very high because you unravel this, you're also going to unravel the Russian narrative. Uh, so the forensic report of uh, Seth Rich's computer uh, was done. It, uh, again, 90, within 96 hours after his murder, he uh, it showed that he made contact with WikiLeaks through not just Gavin McFadden, who passed away on October 27th of last year from lung cancer, but another individual, um, which the information that made it to WikiLeaks, uh, by the way. And it was via London. And, of course, 12 days after Seth's murder, the uh, release, WikiLeaks published the internal, DC, internal DNC emails that, uh, that dealt with... Uh, Sanders, the party nomination, as well as Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So there was information that was before and after the murder, the the, uh, 12 days subsequent to the murder, of course, very interesting. And then CrowdStrike comes in at the same time or concurrent with this mess and blames the leak on a hack. And I just will add this, Vault 7, the significance of Vault 7 with, with respect to WikiLeaks lays out the foundation for hacking tactics and code that get into misdirected attribution, a, a phrase that we've talked about in the past. In other words, making something look kind of, kind of like murdering, um, you know, murdering your wife and blaming it on your neighbor. Okay. In other words, making it look like someone else did a crime, misdirected attribution. And then, of course, we have the, the February 2015 email, email number 36082 from John Podesta, uh, saying I'm definitely for making an example of a suspected leaker, whether or not uh, we have any real basis for it. So all of this combined, you understand how absolutely incredibly important this is. And this is why there's such a, a, a backlash, a civil war, or a war taking place within our country at the highest levels of our country that involve the Justice Department, the FBI, and in this case, uh, the D.C. Police Department, which is just incredible, uh, that the, the fact that uh, we are we are in this fight, and, I, and let me just tell you this, all right, murder tends to put a damper on people who want to leak stuff, right? Just saying. So, there you have it, and, and I believe that... Uh, um, 
And again, uh, let me just fast forward to March 24th, 2017, the source of the Voice of American News, um, two, two authors, so there's Pete, uh, um, Pete Kobus and, no, I can't pronounce the other name, their headline on March 24th, 2007, or 2017, Cyber Firm Rewrites Part of Disputed Russian, hack, Russian Hacking re, uh, re, Report. Meaning to say, they're walking back the Russian, Russian hacking story, uh, with respect to the Ukraine, the IISS, December 2016 Ukraine incident. And, um, this, by the way, was also referenced that the, the crowd strike, uh, their claims, the whole DNC hacking, as well as that particular narrative was, was memorialized in the Senate testimony of James Comey back in, uh, well, uh, subsequent to the murder of Seth Rich, but prior to, uh, the, uh, uh here prior to the inauguration, I believe. So there you have James Comey and his involvement. However, the involvement by James Comey goes deeper because of other relations, which we'll get into at a later time. But you've got basically the nuts and bolts of this story. And I think I, I think hopefully I did a good job in summarizing it, folks. But this is extremely deep and this is extremely important. And this is the stuff that people do get killed over. Absolutely right. Coming up with us now is uh, Robert Griswold from Ready Made Resources. Situational awareness, brother. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna get into some things with with Robert and uh, Robert. Welcome back to the show. It's good to be here. Uh, good listening to you, and uh, I always enjoy coming back here and talking about what's dear to my heart. And uh, I think we're living in times right now where. Uh, we're all going to have to take a look at uh, what we do, how we do it, and possibly the ramifications and repercussions of our actions on social media. Um, you know, just today, the, the, the anguish filled my heart, that I, the thought that there's a good chance our president is either going to have to step down or be removed from office. And the violence that's going to pursue this nation. There was an article on the Daily Beast, and it talks about it's up there today. Um, Civil War 2017, and we are there. I mean, the the, the setting is is ripe to have half of America, which hates the other half of America, commit violence on that half of America. You know, um, Abraham Lincoln. He approached 1860, pondered the scripture, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And if that scripture ever had an applicable meaning or an applicable application in, the, in, our, in our century, it is right now. We are a house divided. And the people that want to bring about this globalist government, that want to enslave all of humanity, are active and they will destroy this nation and then untold amount of people will suffer, probably die, in the process of them obtaining their goals. So we're there right now, and each of us that are on social media, that have any kind of footprint in the public arena, are going to have to reevaluate our awareness of our environment in which we live, because these people will, they're very underhanded, they're very devious, 
They move about, obviously, as with masks on, and they will use that anonymity to come and attack you, your family, your friends. And so we are going to have to step up on our game and be aware of their motives and be ready to handle them should they occur towards us or our family or someone we love. Robert Griswold, folks, and we asked him to come on, talk about situational awareness. I cannot think of any better topic right now than today in advance of perhaps upcoming hostilities, uh, even in your city. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is I care about my family. I care about you as listeners and viewers. I care enough to have the best of the best, and I believe Robert Griswold, his company, the best of the best, to come on and let's talk how we can best prepare and protect ourselves because if we're not prepared and if we don't know how to protect ourselves, what to look for, what to have in, in the coming days, then uh, we're fools. Ready-made resources is the website. Folks, uh, please, uh, I, I beg of you, not not for any profit motive, but but for but but for your safety, your security. Please be prepared. Yeah. Go ahead, sir. You know, I um, I make no bones about it. I'm a capitalist. I run this business because this provides a living for my family. It goes back to Adam Smith. Why does the butcher cut meat? He cuts meat to feed his family. But I'm telling you, there's a passion in my heart for this country and the people that are in it, the people that want to do and see good things happen right now. And we are going to have to suffer, I think, tremendously in the next coming months and years if we are at all at all to gain our country back again. I'm not sure we can. I don't know the outcome of it. I don't know what history will will uh, deal. But the fact is, is that what we do with ourselves can make the determination whether our family goes through this difficult time. You know, I've traveled over 40-some countries, and I'm telling you, situational awareness will keep you alive. Being aware of your environment will keep you alive. Being unaware of your environment will get you killed or injured, raped, murdered, or whatever. It is time that we do it. And and I want to make it clear, situational awareness is not something that you can read in a book and then say, well, I've checked that box. I know I'm supposed to do this, that, and the other thing and then think that you're situationally aware or situationally aware person. Situational awareness is like muscle. It has muscle memory. You have to exercise it on a daily basis to keep it in tune. You have to do the practices and go through the routines of being situationally aware on a regular basis because if, if you think that you're going to wait until you need it to use it, it's like any other skill. You can watch a Bruce Lee movie all you want, but you will never be Bruce Lee unless you go to a dojo and practice. You know, you can t- buy a gun, but you will never be a Travis Haley or a John Lovell unless you practice with it. Situational awareness is the same thing. Unless you take the time and put it into your life and incorporate it into your day-to-day movements, it, it is not going to do you any good. And you will find yourself being the victim of people who observe you, watch you, and are willing to wait you out and strike at the right moment. Now, I don't want to incite fear in anybody's heart, um, but I do want to incite what, what, what God put in Noah's heart, a holy fear. You know, fear gets a bad rap. Fear is a good thing. Fear will keep you alive. Um, yeah, I have traveled throughout most of the Middle East, in fact, all of it. And I've traveled throughout Asia and North Africa. 
fear will keep you alive. It is that sense that we have that tingles in the back of our mind and up our spine or whatever you want to say that says danger is near, pay attention. And I think today reading the headlines um, about our president, our country, seeing the left move on our country and moving against freedom of speech, moving against our, our president, if you do not have some kind of tingling and apprehension going up your spine right now, I'd say that you're pretty much asleep and there's really much, not much hope for you. So there's certain things that we can do if we are willing to incorporate them on a day-to-day basis into our life to make sure that should harm try to visit us, we will be aware with it, we will be aware of it, and we will be able to deal with it. Um, one of the most well-known Things and I would tell everyone to go online and type this in, and you can read about it. You can also download an image. It's called OODA Loop, O O D A, then Loop, and it means to observe, orient, decide, and act. Again, that's how we do. We go outside. You know, I had some of my one of my best friends was in law enforcement. And he trained me very well that if I walk outside of a building, if I walk outside of my house, if I get out of my car, the first thing I do is to look around me. I just don't walk out with the cell phone in my hand. I would tell people to get rid of that thing when you're outside. If you're walking down the road, typing in on your, on your cell phone, playing a video game or texting, you are the perfect victim. If I was a criminal looking for a victim, I would choose you because you are completely situationally unaware and you make a perfect victim. And, and you've come out of a store, you might have something with you that I could steal, whatever. So just put the cell phone away and learn to observe. When you walk out of a building, look up at the building ridge line. Look out at the cars. Remember where you're parked. Look what, look what kind of cars are parked next to you. I mean, is it a nice car or is it a maybe not a nice car? Um, you start forming evaluations based on your observation. So the first thing that we need to train ourselves to do is to observe. Um, some very good friends, <laughs> put it that way, taught me a little drill, and I'll share it with you. And that was to get two friends together and put on a movie. Now, it can be any movie you want. Um, action movies are good, maybe even romance movies, whatever, whatever you like. And while you're watching this movie, one friend is taking notes on a piece of paper, and the other friend is taking mental notes. And the goal of the drill is to not pay attention to the two guys in the middle of the screen fighting, or the guy and the girl making love, or whatever they're doing, because that's where your eye wants to focus. The, the, the purpose of the drill is to pay attention to all the incidentals in the movie. The shadows. Shadows can tell what time of day it is. What kind of cars are going by? You can make an evaluation of a neighborhood. What kind of people are in it? What color clothes are they wearing? What do they look like? Um, all those little incidences that go in a movie, the person who's actually being going to be drilled is having to take mental notes of those incidences in the movie because your eye wants to get distracted. I mean, obviously you want to watch the two guys fight or the, you know, whatever, the guy kiss the girl, whatever. Um, and, and that's the distraction. But very seldom does evil come at us head on. 
and usually approaches us from our flanks. And so we really need to train ourselves to pay attention to the things that we really don't need to see because the bad guys play on that. And we need to train our mind and our actions to see those things that we don't need to see. Now, that movie thing will do a very good job if you do that over again. You can find it very fatiguing to do it. And so uh, get some friends together and just put that into practice and then see how much of it you can remember. Again, everything in that movie will tell a story. Pictures on a wall. Um, I, I, you can, sometimes you can find anomalies in a movie where they, they, something's wrong, and that's kind of a fun thing to do that they, they, the cast coordinator didn't get it correct. But if you learn to pay attention to those things, then when you step outside, you start to train your mind to look at things that you normally would not see. Uh, and again, your cell phone's your greatest enemy, unless, I will share this with you, if you have a cell phone and you black out the screen, it makes a perfect reflective source to look at your six. I do it all the time. If you're at the gym and you're on the treadmill or something, you can set that cell phone up and you can see what's behind you. If you're walking down the street, you can look at your cell phone with the screen blacked out and you can see what's behind you. Uh, you can look all around with it. So if, in that case, if you're using it for situational awareness, it looks normal to have a cell phone in your hand, and you can use it as a reflective service to see what's on your six or in your flanks. And so that, that way our cell phone can be very good and looks perfectly normal to walk down the street anymore with a cell phone in your hand looking oblivious. But you, at that point, you're using it to watch your six and to make sure you're not being followed or something not is coming to sneak up on you. But, but Bob, um, it, it beats, and just a little levity here, it beats the heck out of, what was the movie, The Jerk? I don't know. A little rearview mirrors on, on our glasses, you and me. You know, we have glasses. So you, uh, I can't remember. Anyway. Glass, glass, really. If you if you deal with anybody in the intelligence community, if you're doing any kind of operational thing where you're doing surveillance or counter surveillance, glass really becomes a very very good friend to you because every piece of glass, whether it's in a car or plate glass and a thing, it's a reflective surface. It allows you to see what's behind you without looking like you're behind you. Um, believe me, it works very, very well, and you can play like you're totally oblivious to everything. But, again, if you train your mind to do this, it's not something that you're going to do when you need to do it unless you do it when you don't need to do it. So train your mind to use those reflective surfaces. Start tomorrow. Start tonight. And that way you'll start to develop this situational awareness, being uh, aware of what's behind you. Now, my wife and I play a drill at times. Well, I'll just take the rearview mirror and move it out of sight and ask her what color car's behind us. We should always know who's following us. And those are kind of drills that allow you to do the observe part of that OODA loop. Again, I encourage people to go online, type in O-O-D-A-L-O-O-P, OODA loop. It was developed by a U.S. Army colonel. Um, and it teaches that's the basis of all uh, situational awareness. If you go to any school on situational awareness, you're going to hear that word, OODA loop. And so the first thing we have to do, and it's the hardest thing to start to do, is to observe. Well, I, you know, I have fun time at times just watching how people don't observe. They're just totally ignorant of their environment. They're perfect victims. They're just waiting for something bad to happen to them because, again, for one reason or another, they are totally ignorant of their environment. So we, we go from there to observe, and then we have to orient. Orient says, what is going on around me? Uh, how, is it, how is it possible to affect me? 
And, and so we have to, once we observed something happening, um, it, it takes us, you know, we, you've heard the four color code warning thing, white, yellow, orange, and red. You know, we walk safe. We, if we do, being good people, we're walking around in that yellow, just being observant. And all of a sudden we see something we don't like and it moves us up a notch or two. We have to orient to what we see that we don't like. It might be some bad thug looking guys walking down the street and they're, you're walking head on into them. Um, you have, you've observed that. You have to orient to it. Do you want to, let them walk past. If you got your wife or your girlfriend with you, do you want them to walk by you on the sidewalk? Or do you have to orient to that situation and then decide what you're going to do? That's the next thing. O-O-D. Decide. Um, do I need to act? What do I need to do? What are my options here? Um, and at this point, again, if you haven't, if you don't train yourself to think this way, um, you, you're going to freeze up at that moment. You're going to you, you're going to say, "Well, I I can't, I can't do this," and you're just going to you're going to get paralyzed with fear on, on one level or another, and you won't um, orient yourself. You won't decide to do anything, and then you'll be at the mercy of if they're good, really bad people, or if they're just bad looking people. Um, and so you'll need to decide what to do, and then the last part of that OODA loop is to act. Um, uh, again, what do I do? Okay, we've, we've seen them coming. I, I, I see a, maybe a gun or a knife or whatever on them and they're coming towards me. I, do I, I move out of this, uh, I move away from them. They start following me. Then I'm going to have to make a decision to act. Um, and that's probably, you know, one of the harder things to do if, if you decide your life is being threatened, how you're going to act. But, um, again, you need to commit this to memory because I want to say it again. If you wait until you need to be situationally aware, you will not be situationally aware. This is something I want to encourage everyone who's listening to this program to start putting these things into practice. I mean, just it's kind of fun. Just get your cell phone out, walk down the street, and use it as a mirror to look behind you. Start using, the, the if you're walking through a parking lot, the glass on cars, the, gla- the plate glass in front of the building. Start using those surfaces to observe what's going on around you so you'll know um, you know your your environment. If, if you know your environment, you're much less likely to become a victim. Um, these people that we're going to be dealing with, and and I think in a coming civil war, um, if you have any kind of footprint on, like I said, on social media, um, you run the possibility of them following you, or following actually following you home, or following you to work, or whatever. And with nefarious, um, you know, desires for you to hurt you or one way or another, you, if, if you're in that position to where you have social exposure and you've said things that could be taken as, as an, an offense where it offends people, um, then you better start developing these techniques, um, immediately because as we see this, this, Destruction of our republic right before our eyes. Um, there's going to be a lot of people hurt, in my opinion. I, I, I don't know how you do it. And, and, and Hagman's, I, I am a person of peace. I tell, be at peace with all men. If everything that is within us to be at peace, we're to be at peace with people. We are never to be the antagonist. Um, we react to violence, but we never want to be the person perpetrating the violence for violence' sake. Um, You're right. I do believe that violence is coming to our door. Um, there are, you know, there are other things you, you can do to be situational. Again, I mentioned driving. 
my wife was actually, when we were first married, actually stalked. And she's a very beautiful woman. And there was a guy who was stalking her, and he actually took notes of where she'd been, what she'd been doing, what color clothes she'd been wearing. He was stalking her. And um, we that's when I started getting involved in this years and years ago. Um, she started learning some of the techniques. Um, just even as simple as four right turns when you're driving a car, you, you know, if somebody's following you, you've just driven in a circle, and they've just followed you in a circle, and it's probably a pretty good indication you're being followed. Hey, um, hey Bob. And so, uh, sorry yes. to interrupt you. We're coming up against the break. Can we hold you over for about five minutes on the other side of the break? Yes, sir. Awesome. Thank you. Folks, we're talking with Robert Griswold of Ready-Made Resources. He is our guest. We're talking about situational awareness. And uh, you can have a more important topic when we look at the the craziness that is going on in our world and the instability. Never know where that will take us. And the situational awareness is so important because it means the difference between life and death in a survival situation. We'll be right back with Robert Griswold from Ready-Made Resources right after this. Don't go anywhere. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right? You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash... 
Trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Precious Timber profits.com How important is that? I can't think of anything more important. You know, when um, uh, look, I, I counsel my family, my wife, my daughter um, on situational awareness and she, we've had some incident, incidents, folks. Let me tell you something. We've had some situations where, um, we've had, we've, situational awareness has saved our lives. I truly believe that. I could tell you some stories. I'm not going to bore you with them. But the man on the other end of this is Bob Griswold. He's the man behind ready-made resources. It's our go-to company for all things preparation related. And you know what, folks? Now is the time. If if you're listening to this and, and you're the head of the family out there, I would urge you, like I've done, I've gone through every inch of their website, okay? And let me tell you, night vision is so, so, so important. Communications are so, so important. Yeah, you might look at it and say, wow, it might, it's a little cost prohibitive. But you know what? I suspect maybe you might be getting an income tax refund back. I don't know. But do yourself a favor. Go to ready-made resources. Go to Bob Griswold's site. The link is on Hagman Report. Please, please get prepared. Bob, I'm going to turn it back over to you, sir. Well, you know, anybody, I'm going to make this offer to anybody who purchases a night vision tonight from listening to this program. I'm going to include a free Bofang F8 radio, ham radio, uh, with it. So that'll come with it. Uh, we also have our rifle-mounted PBS-30 scope marked down. It is that thing that is expensive. It is a cost-prohibitive item to a lot of families, but it does give you the ability to stay situationally aware 24 hours a day when it's dark outside. It, the modern night vision uh, cuts through the darkness, and you can see clearly hundreds of yards away from your position. It allows you to operate in your area of operation very, very effectively. If people are trying to do something to you, you can see them. Should the need arise, you can actually drive a car with it. Again, don't do it unless it's absolutely crisis because I don't want to be the guy telling the police officer why I'm driving down the street with my headlights off and night vision on. Um, you know, it allows you to hunt at night. Again, generally illegal, but animals do come out. I do a lot of night vision hiking. You know, they come out at night. Um, so we will make that offer to anybody who purchases a night vision device this evening. We'll include a free Bofang radio uh, with the purchase. Again, um, I'm, I'm available for consultation. I don't charge for it. Um, you can call me at the 800 number, uh, 627-3809. I'll be glad to talk with you about your security needs and how to develop a situationally aware uh, presence for your family. 
but you really need to put it into practice and start immediately because it is, again, it's one of those things, it's like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets and the more endurance it will have. Uh, the first time you do that movie night thing, you're going to find yourself completely fatigued. Um, but as you do it over and over again, paying attention to movies, it'll come become second nature. It kind of always ruins watching a movie because I'm always watching what's going on in the background. Um, it's just the way my brain has been trained to do it, and I I, I find it to be effective. And in, and in life, it is an extremely effective security procedure that I follow that will greatly lower my chance of being a victim of somebody coming out of my flank and, and injuring me or my family. So I, I just encourage everybody. Um, night vision does have that prohibitive cost, but I'm telling you, if you ever need it, one minute after the balloon goes up, one minute after Civil War II starts, one minute after they take the grid down. I see right now we have another cyber attack more powerful than the last one going on. One minute after the system breaks and falls down, you're going to wish you had night vision. It'll be the first thing because the first night you go through not knowing and not seeing what's outside your house will be a very, very scary night. And so with with military-grade night vision, that goes away. I can see clearly. It's so good. We tell people, I think we're the only one in the industry that does it. We give you a one-week return policy from the day you sign for it at the door. If you don't think it is what I tell you it is, then return it, and I will give you your money back. So I don't think anybody else does that with night vision. Um, and so, I, I will, I will uh, just put the exclamation point on that, Bob. Your night vision equipment that you've got is second to none, folks. You know, do you have a pet, maybe a pet dog that you let out outside? Uh, I can tell you this, about a week and a half ago, at my home, and I live in the, in the suburbs, not the, not not rural area, uh, playing around with night vision uh, equipment uh, from ready-made resources, and uh, I've had this for a while. Uh, I, I guess what I saw, I saw a coyote hidden in the bushes or hiding in the bushes. I don't know if it was hiding, but it was covered by a bush. Had I let my dog out, again, a coyote, um, on my property. And we had, we had reports of two dogs getting killed, uh, two different occasions about a mile and a half from me. Had I let, let Lady the Studio dog out, I could have, it could have been a very bad night for both Lady and me. So just think of, think of that. Now, now think of also the, 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 the personal factor with you, your wife, and of course the equalizing factor that these do provide. Bob, go ahead. Well, you know, even with your dog, they do make little infrared markers that you can attach to your dog collar. They actually, you don't see it unless you have night vision, but it'll actually glow in the dark. Um, you know, if, you, if you're a person that has firearms, you can actually mount a what's called a D-ball laser. It's a dual-beam aiming laser onto your rifle. It actually projects... Um, a infrared uh, laser out of the out of the unit. It co-witnesses with your rifle. Um, you put your night vision on your head. If you see something like if you saw that coyote there, all you do is press that little pressure pad on your on your weapon. Turns the infrared laser on. Put it on the dog and or the coyote, and you pull the trigger, and that coyote would be history. Um, the the aiming laser really benefits you in several ways because you know it's a half a second that saves your life in a gunfight. The average person can pull up a gun in a second and a half and shoot. If you you have to get it down to a second to be the first guy to win that fight. Um, with with a dual beam, with a D ball uh, aiming laser, you don't even have to shoulder the weapon. If if you've got it at low ready, you just point it, and whenever that laser touches that target, um, the, the the thing that's being laced won't see it, but you'll see it, and you just pull the trigger. Um, it's, it is a very, very effective weapons platform. Um, 
it's what the military uses. If anybody's seen the movie 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, um, you'll, you'll see them using those D-ball lasers in there. Um, very, very effective. But you can actually add an infrared uh, tag to your dog. Uh, it's a little sticky thing. It's uh, like a chemical light, but it glows infrared. Attach it to your dog. You'll see your dog glowing. He'll be glowing like a Christmas tree running through the woods. Um, it makes it very easy to spot him. But anyhow, if that. people have questions, <laughs> if people have questions, 800-627-3809, I'll be glad to work with you. I'll be glad to uh, give you the benefit of my experience and making sure your family can be secure. Um, I tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to be praying for peace. I'm going to be praying for my president. I'm going to be praying that God grants us the mercy we do not deserve. But if things go in a way, I think there's a very strong possibility they will. I want to be in the position of providing for my family. You know, some people say they're going to have faith, but I look at probably the greatest act of faith in the Bible, other than this work of Jesus Christ, was the building of the ark. And yet the building of the ark took the greatest human endeavor. It was faith and works together. And Noah provided for his family with that ark, and he saved his family by his endeavor and his effort. So faith alone is... Uh, I, I hate to say it because I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but faith alone, I don't see it in the Bible where it has much value. Faith usually requires us to do something. Uh, same thing with Joseph. Faith required him to act and to store food. Um, I think those parallels are very appropriate for the days in which we live. Not only do we see um, our nation in turmoil, but um, you know, our friend Dave Hodges just wrote that article, the globalists have brought 22 possibly catastrophic events to our doorstep. 22 incidences, wars and, and dissensions, seditions that are coming against our country right now. Um, and so it's just not the fact that Donald Trump might be impeached. It's the fact that we have uh, an 1860 moment, a Civil War moment possibly going to happen, and we have a 1913 moment, a global war possibly going to happen. On top of that, we have a seditious uh, fifth element in our government that's comprised of education, it's comprised of news media, it's comprised of deep state agents, the GS4, I mean GS9, GS10 people. He has Trump has them in his own White House. We are truly a house divided against itself as Abraham Lincoln pondered back so many years ago. Um, and we need to pray, but we need to act upon that and get our families ready for what I think history teaches us is almost unavoidable at this time. That's that's the way it looks, Mr. Griswold. I want to thank you for coming on. we got to go. We have a, a guest um, that we got to get to. But thank you so much for, for coming uh, on and sharing that with us tonight. Robert Griswold, ready-made resources, readymaderesources.com. Yeah. If you're looking on YouTube, the number's there, 1-800-627-3809 is the number, or readymaderesources.com. Mr. Griswold, thanks for coming on. We look forward to having you on again in the future. God bless. Have a good and, and, folks, Bob Griswold is is a man who will spend some time talking to you about your security surveillance uh, and preparedness needs. He, he He's a great man, and I'll tell you what, people pay big bucks for his knowledge. What you just got there, you might think, well, boy, I could have thought of that. Well, you didn't, so pay attention. And our thanks our thanks go out to Bob Griswold, ready-made resources, and, and do call him. And mention you heard him on Hagman. I heard uh, yeah, him on Hagman and Hagman Report because, hey, you know, we get we get kudos too. We like that too. 
Yes, we do. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna obviously stay on air as we bring in our next guest. Her name is is Misty Griffin, and she's got a, a fascinating story. Um, Tears of the Silenced, a true crime and American tragedy, severe child abuse, and leaving the Amish uh, is the yeah. publication. And um, we're gonna get into this with she, Misty Griffin. She came across our radar, Joe. It, 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 she's got the, the, that story that she's got is so interesting, and people don't really understand the. Dare I say cult? She, would cult be? Improv? Yeah, I mean, no, I don't it know. It, cult like um, if you would you call the priest inside Catholic Church who molests children a cult? I uh, I, I don't think I would only because. Oh, man, I, I'll tell you what. I would. Okay. Technically, I suppose you could. The connotations of that, in in, in especially in that context, might be objectionable um, at its face. I don't think you're going to win friends or win no. the argument. I'm not to say friends. I don't think you are going to prevail in getting the message across by using that right. particular word in that context, in that situation. But I think you're you're technically accurate, yes. Before we get to our guest, uh, folks, Greenovative. Greenovative.com, ready-made, uh, or the, uh, the uh, yeah, I'm the, the, uh, the, the GMAG. Thank you, Eric. The GMAG Power Cell. Alan Riggs has done it. They've offered, he's actually got us, uh, uh, extended use power cells. I mean, folks, just go to greenovative.com. Check out what Alan Riggs has done. Greenovative.com. When you don't have batteries and you need them, oh man, how, doesn't that really mess with your head? Well, Alan Riggs has developed this product. It's EMP proof. It's got no moving parts. A little salt, a little water. You can charge rechargeable batteries. Now he's gotten, He's gotten more power out of the power pucks. It's the GMAG power cell. Thanks, Eric. Give him a call, 321-638-4855, or go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. But whatever you do, let's get it done. Get it done now. Joe. With us now is is Miss, author Misty Griffin. Uh, she left the Amish 12 years ago in 2005. Since then, she has been to Brazil as a missionary. She's been married for 10 years. She's a nursing student and a best-selling author. Um, Misty Griffin, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Hello. Uh, hey, th- thanks so much for your patience as we kind of ran over the last segment, but uh, we really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, where do you want to start? You've got such an amazing story, Misty. Um, where do you want to start here uh, to give people a little bit of insight from your own lips to the people? Um, Probably a good place to start is from my early childhood. Um, It shows, like, how I progressed to become Amish since I wasn't born Amish. But um, it also raises awareness about child abuse and how easy it is to basically, I guess, become a member of a cult, which I believe the Amish are now. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Go ahead and start because I, I I never when you said when I when I first saw this, you were not born you were not born into an Amish family, but you ended up there. How did that happen? Yeah, it's um, it's quite unusual for somebody to join the Amish from the outside. Um, my sister and I we were allowed to join because we were basically raised Amish. 
when I was like six years old, um, my mother and my stepfather, they started making us dress Amish and live Amish. We were, when I was 11, we moved on a ranch in northern Washington state. And we were basically held prisoners there for, until I was almost 19 years old. And we were, you know, we just like lived on the farm. We dressed Amish. We lived that way. We were taught like all of the doctrines of the Amish. And then, uh, my parents were extremely, extremely abusive. We were basically held prisoners there. Uh, it was six and a half miles out of town. And when I was 18 and a half, I tried to escape. I tried to run off the mountain, but they caught me. And I told them that one day I would escape and I would go to the police and turn them in. But, you know, it was so far out of town, I, I just didn't know how I would get there. It was like eight miles to the police station. So my sister and I, we didn't really know anything besides the mountain we were held on. And uh, my stepdad had been in, in contact with an Amish bishop in Pennsylvania for like 10 years or more. And um, he told him of this community. Uh, I can't say like what state, but they were from the Midwest. And they took us to that community and, and they agreed to adopt us. I was adopted by the, the bishop's brother, and my sister was adopted by the deacon. And that's how we eventually became church members. Okay, man. Folks, Misty Griffin is our guest. Um, she's written a book. You've got to get this book, Tears of the Silence, the True Crime and an American Tragedy. It's on Amazon. Uh, it, it's an amazing book. As a matter of fact, it was published back in uh, 20, December uh, 2014, I believe. Let me just double check. Uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's still trying to get number one in uh, the Kindle store on, on Colson uh, Demonism. It's really highly rated. We've got a, a number of great reviews, and she's just a, an incredible young young woman. Uh, please pay attention to what she's got to say. So, Misty, go ahead and continue because this is so this is so important. There are many people with situations like yours. Go ahead and continue. Uh, yeah. First of all, um, like I now I raise awareness about child abuse. Uh, I would like to say, like when I was with my parents. There were a number of people that, that told me later, after I escaped, they told me that they had thought about calling Child Protective Services, you know, on my parents, because they knew we were being abused, uh, but they never did. And I would just like to say, you know, if you have a suspicion, you know, that something is very wrong, usually it is. I mean, we are given those instincts, and you really need to like look into that and try to help that child or person because they could be living, you know, through something really, really tragic like my sister and I did. And those people, they later apologized to my sister and I for not calling child protective services. But my parents were just really good at at hiding, you know, what what they were doing. Um but yeah, then we were taken to the Amish community. We visited the community about six or seven times before I went to live there. They said that they would give me a, a, a trial period first of about almost a year, and then my sister, who was younger, she's a year and ten months younger, she would also come to the community. So I went first. It was the week after 
And um, I basically, you know, went to meet my Amish family. I had to learn all the rules. Um, there is a rule for everything. People on the outside don't realize that, but there is literally a rule for everything all the way down to your underwear. Uh, so, you know, I had to conform to the dress code, but I had been raised in such a strict environment, it wasn't that hard for me. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of rules that I had to learn. I had to learn German. It took me about eight to nine months before I was fluently speaking German. I had to learn to read it. And then, you know, I was basically integrated into the Amish. My sister came about nine months later also. So, uh, Misty, this is uh, so. This was something your parents wanted for you guys, uh, is to take. No. Okay, how'd that uh, happen? Well, because I had tried to escape their their idea was. We learned this later. My sister found this out right before she came to the Amish. The their plan was that I would not make it in the Amish community and they would send me back and therefore we would never try to escape again because, you know, they told us our whole life we were failures, we were ugly, nobody wanted us, not even the state wanted us. You know, they lied to the state so many times. They told, my mom told the state that I had run to Canada when I was 15 with my boyfriend and social services, they never came and checked on us like they were supposed to and, you know, we were just there the whole time. Sorry. So their plan was they thought I would be sent back, um, but it didn't work out that way. They never expected me to learn German so fast or to fit in with, with the community. Okay. Um, so you become a member of this Amish community, and your sister becomes a, a member of the Amish community uh, a little bit later. Um, mm -hmm. What happens next? So... Um, to get into the sad part, like, I was there for just a couple weeks when um, the bishop of the church, like, started making advances towards me. Uh, but then I moved. I was at his house to help clean for church, and he did some very, like, odd things. He scared me a little bit. But then I moved into his brother's house. That was my adopted family. And he didn't really have access to me for a long time, but... There were people that started coming to me, you know, telling me about sexual abuse stories, and uh, I saw some of it personally. So I started getting worried, and one of the one of the girls in our community, her sister, had been molested when she was 14 uh, by an outsider. He dressed Amish, but he lived among the Amish, and the Amish didn't report him. And he, like, really messed with her. She was a little bit messed up after that. So that was the first story that I heard. And I, it was really hard to hear these stories because, you know, I knew these girls. And then the bishop's wife, she started telling me what happened to her. Um, she, she came from a family of about 11 children, and I think nine of them were girls, somewhere around there. And her father was a deacon in the church. And he had molested all of the daughters. Um, the oldest daughter, her first child is, they think is the father's, her father's child. Um, so she was telling me this. She wasn't allowed to tell me, so I wasn't allowed to like repeat it. Um, but he was shunned by the church five times. Her mom went to the church five times to report him. 
he was shunned five times um, each each time for six weeks, and he just continued. And finally, they just stopped reporting him. Missy, I I didn't mean to interrupt, but how old was he and how old were you at this time, roughly? Um, At that time, I was about 19 years old, and the bishop was, I think, about 35. Okay. He was a young bishop. All right. Okay, thank you. Go go ahead. The the shunning. So this is uh, the church. Somebody brings this issue to the church to the congregation or to the elders and their response is to basically put him on the sideline for six weeks and after multiple allegations that approach didn't change (laughs) yes so the Amish they have no other form of punishment this is their own form of punishment and they believe so their only form of, of punishment is shunning, and it's usually two to six weeks. It doesn't matter your crime. Um, so, yeah, basically you are put away from the church for six weeks. Uh, you can't, like, sit with church members at church. You can't eat with anybody. Uh, you can't eat at the same table, even in your own home, if there's church members present. Um, and that you can't go to any social events, and that's for two to six weeks depending on what the bishop decides. And that is the punishment. Folks, we're talking with Misty Elaine Griffin. She left the Amish community 12 years ago, escaped, rather, back in April of 2005. Since then, she's been to Brazil as a missionary. Oh, thank you for your service. Been married for 10 years. She's a nursing student and a best-selling author. Her book, Tears of the Silence, the True Crime and American Tragedy, Severe Child Abuse and Leaving the Amish. It's a fantastic read. Her passions include all humanitarian work and, of course, uh, reading and uh, animals. She raises awareness about child abuse and making the world um, see what can happen when someone just shrugs off the urge to report suspected child abuse and sexual assault. How incredible. And Misty, we're just so thankful that you're joining us. Uh, right at the point, you know, we're going to skip the bottom of the hour break, by the way, folks, and let Misty have that time. Go ahead, Joe. You know, the question: Why is uh, sexual abuse allowed to flourish in the Amish community? And I guess the answer would be because there's no real uh, consequences for the crimes that are committed. Yes. So the Amish, they believe that once you have uh, been shunned by the church and you have been forgiven of that crime no church member is allowed to speak of that crime after that so say you were shunned because you molested your daughter or you know something after you have been taken back in the church nobody is allowed to talk of that ever it's like it never happened so um, basically they can't like hold you accountable for anything until like it comes up again and then you're shunned again and you know it just keeps going there's no other form of punishment so I mean that never stops a child molester or a rapist I mean it's such a light a light punishment and the whole time like if they are molesting like their children they are in the same house with those children and if they have been reported once and it didn't really help uh, the likelihood of somebody reporting it again is very uh, unlikely. Um, in the case of the bishop's mom, she did go to the church five times. I mean, that is quite unusual. 
I think it's because she had so many daughters that were getting molested. But, um, you know, the bishop's wife, she told me, you know, it's so hard to see your, like, father up there crying, you know, saying he's sorry, and you know he's going to do it again. And the whole time, you know, nobody comes to the children. They don't ask them, are you okay? You know, do you need help? Do you need to talk? Um, uh, somebody who's been sexually assaulted in the Amish, they're not allowed to talk with, about it with anybody, ever. You're just well, supposed to be quiet. Well, it seems like... Um a lot of people in that community know what's going on, uh, whether from sharing or personal stories or observing something or or being uh, victimized by something. How come yeah, there's not more policing inside the Amish community uh, amongst themselves? How come they don't? What, what's the the problem with uh, outing or reporting one of their congregants to the police if this is such? I mean, it's obviously a terrible thing that happens. It should never happen, and when it does happen, it violates uh, the law, and it violates the biblical law also. Why isn't there more action taken? Why don't more people come together yeah, and speak you know, out about from it? from within that community, right? Uh, uh, yeah, so okay. a lot of people don't... Well, there's one thing that a lot of people don't realize about the Amish. You know, right now you have, like, a lot of romance stories written about the Amish. It just looks like this ideal life. But what outsiders do not realize is that the Amish really view them as outsiders. I mean, they view them as, you know, if you are not Amish, you're kind of just non-existent or like aliens. I mean, to them, you don't really mean anything. And among the Amish, especially the strict order that I come from, the Bible is something that is not um, encouraged at all. Like, you you can get shunned for reading the Bible. Really? Yeah, people don't realize that in the Amish, the ordinal, which is the list of church rules, that is the highest highest rule. That is what you obey. Morality is not something that is really taught among the Amish. Kindness, um, you know, not um, participating in, like, you know, I guess, like, I don't know, really bad things. That is something that's not taught among the Amish. The main thing that is taught among the Amish is obeying the ordinal. If you obey that, you are considered a very good church member. And, you know, things like molestation and rape, those things are not in the ordinal. So, I mean, it's very odd, but um, that is like a side, something on the side that, you know, you just get shunned for. And people don't want to even recognize it's happening. But to go to the police is like a really bad sin because you are contacting the outside. Like, when I went to the police, like, it was a very, it was like the worst thing I could do because they're the outsiders. But but the worst thing you could do for who? For yourself? For, uh, for, for the community? Uh, explain that a little bit more because I would th- and, and here's against the backdrop of this about uh, oh, eight nine years ago in near our community we had a member of the Amish near where I live that is we had a member of the Amish community a man um, come home one day I don't know what exactly what the motive was but stabbed and uh, disemboweled his wife oh yes I know that story okay um uh, but, but having said all of that, 
bad for who? Bad for the community? Bad for the re- person reporting it? But is there is there some antagonist antagonism between the police and the Amish community, or or just go ahead and expand on that? I, I don't want to throw keep throwing stuff out at. No, it's it's seen as bad for the community because among the Amish, only like you're baptized when you're about 16 and 17 in the stricter like the stricter communities I come from. After that, you become a church member, and anything that is said among church members is not allowed out of that circle. So if you and go if if you go and tell an outsider who is not Amish something that was um, said among church members after church, you will be shunned. So basically, they don't want anybody knowing church business, basically, at all. So if you were to go tell the police, you know, this church member did this to me, you are committing, like, a shunnable offense. Because they think everything should be handled by the church uh, among themselves because, you know, everybody else is an outsider. So the police are considered worldly. Any kind of law enforcement, uh, they really don't believe that they have to abide by American laws, and there are many that they don't. Um, Misty, let me let me stop you right there and ask you this question: Do you see some parallels here? And and maybe I'm seeing parallels where none exist. But do you see parallels between what you just said and, for example, the um, well, the Muslim community, the, the, those who do not assimilate into Western culture, you see the parallels there? Yeah. Basically, any any culture that's, like, ultra-strict and removes themselves from the rest of society, it's kind of the same thing. Like, the the fundamentalist Mormons, you know, the, the Amish... Anything that considers everybody else an outsider that you, I mean, you, you don't consider your equal, I mean, that's kind of how it is. They all have like the same, uh, I don't know how you would say, like the same rules, like the same thoughts about outsiders, I guess. All right. Okay. Okay. That, interesting. All right. Okay. Now, so, so wow, man. You know, I I'm tongue-tied almost. I I read your story. I know your story. I'm looking at this, and it's it really it affects me emotional. I mean, I get emotional over this. I mean, um, the sexual abuse that was allowed to flourish within the community, um, the 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 people, the the lack of good people who. Should have stepped in to stop it, mothers, sisters, sisters, uncles, and so on. And the fact that they didn't step in because of, I would say, community standing. Right? I mean, that's yes. Okay. All right. So, the lack of punishment for the crime outside or, or within the community as well is just astounding to me. But but yet here you are, and, and by the way, folks, her book is fantastic, and I definitely would would recommend the Tears of the Silence. Go on Amazon.com, and and get all of that book. And our thanks to Bill Bill McIntosh from Acosta Media as well. But go ahead, Misty. We don't want to dominate here. Continue on with with the story, hitting the high points you think 
are most important for our listeners and viewers today? How you might be able to relate to them or, or give them perhaps advice or suggestions? Because we've got people in that position. I know we do, who are stuck oh, in that yeah. cycle. Go ahead. Um, right now, uh, I have the, my email in my book, and every day I get like a lot of emails from people who are in bad situations or who have just gotten out of bad situations. So I know there are a lot of people, Amish and non-Amish, that are looking for help. And I know for me, I I was in a bad situation for a long time, and I had nowhere to turn. You know, I had nobody that I felt um, would help me. So, you know, I I just stayed in that situation for a long time. And I would just say to anybody out there, you know, if you feel that that somebody is in a bad situation, the best thing you can do is be their friend. And if you can get to them and, and be their friend and they feel like they trust you, then they might open up. And once they open up and tell their story, then you can help them out of that situation. But right. it's usually impossible to just, like, reach in and grab somebody out of the situation because they might go back because they're scared. And I think the best thing you can do is show that, you know, you're a good friend and, you know, you would do anything to help them. I think that's the best way to help somebody. Yeah, and I read the um, some of the comments that you received on your book and some of your responses, and, and it makes a lot of sense that, especially in a closed community like that, that some outsider would not be able to just come in and, and make heads or tails or, or get cooperation or information. So uh, the best thing, the second best thing to do would be to start assimilating with the, the community mm-hmm. and, um, and and get in that way. Uh, back to your story, Misty. So you're um, in a house and uh, you're in a situation where you're being molested by the church bishop. What then you turn this man into the police. Yes. Again, what happened after you turned him into the police? So to start with, the, the Amish family that I was adopted into, there was some problems among, like, the husband and wife. So the bishop agreed with this couple that it would be a good idea if, if I went to their house and became their maid for a few months to give the husband and wife, you know, some time to work out their problems. So... I, you know, I really didn't have a choice. And the bishop's wife was my friend, you know, so I agreed to do it, um, even though I was kind of scared of him. But um, so I moved into their house, and right away he just started, you know, molesting me. Mm. And, Man. yeah, it. but I, I couldn't tell anybody because, especially being an outsider, you know, women, it's, you know, if women come forward, they are usually told why it's their fault. And as an outsider, I had to be extra careful because I had already gotten in trouble several times, you know, for not wearing my head covering forward far enough um, because I attracted attention because I was an outsider, so I was different. Or wearing my dress too tight. So I was just quiet about it, and I tried to avoid him. You know, this went on for about six months. And then one morning he came into my room and he assaulted me. He threatened me. And I had seen him, like, doing something inappropriate with his daughter, his oldest daughter. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So I thought to myself, it's like, this has gone on for six months. And he told me he was going to come back during the night. 
So, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, what if I get pregnant? You know, I have to, I have to do something about this, especially to save his daughter. So we had this lady living on our property. She was not Amish, but she was, um, she had a horse rescue and she was quite close. She was like, she lived in a shop about one or 200 yards from where my bedroom was. Right. So I ran down to her to get help and she took me to the police. Um, oh, that's but, good. Okay. Yeah. But the police, you know, they kind of didn't want to believe me. They're like, you know, we haven't really heard this kind of a story from, you know, about Amish before. <laughs> sorry, for, yeah. sorry for that. But, but isn't that, isn't that funny? Because folks, you follow that, the, the thread of, of Misty's account. Um, well, it's Misty's fault for the way she dressed or, or whatever. It's, it's, isn't it funny in to, not funny, haha, but funny, sadly ironic. You've got, um, the women's marches, of course, and, and compare what you're hearing from Misty to, to the women's marches. Um, you, you, folks, you, without taking too much time, you'll understand what I'm talking about, but she, she's not, she's not being believed. She's being blamed as the victim. The police, okay, so the police said, oh, oh, gee, I never heard of this kind of behavior coming from this community before. So they look at you and kind of don't believe you, right? That had to be... Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, I had told them that he was the bishop of the church, and, you know, they were kind of like, well, you know, we don't want to take that kind of too seriously, you know, because he is the bishop, you know, they're our friends, you know, they consider them like there's no crime among the Amish, they think. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, they did come out and they questioned him, you know, like, like a few hours later, they questioned him and then they left. And I was too scared to stay in the house, so I stayed with this lady that had the horse rescue. And a couple weeks later, or a little while later, I, I went to Seattle, um, to stay with my stepdad's sister. And the bishop, I was talking to detectives during this time and they finally decided to go out and arrest him. And he went out to arrest him, and he was gone. He had taken his whole family, and they had escaped into Canada. And there was no way to, like, track him. To, I mean, he has no identification at all. Maybe this is not germane to the story, but how in the world did he get into Canada? Did the Amish get a free pass? Yes. Right. They do? Yes. They do. Um, they, they have the family Bible, and they write down the mother, the father. They write down um, all of the children's names, and that's their identification. My word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was in Canada, and I had no way to find him. And then this is kind of the amazing part of the story. Um, a year ago, the, the book had been out for about a year and a half, and then on Goodreads I get this message uh, from this person that says he knows the bishop's oldest daughter and she wants to talk to me. So I give him my email. She emails me and it's the oldest daughter. Um, they had come back from Canada. Canada actually wanted to deport them after they'd been there for two years. So they came back into the United States and they lived on the brother's farm, the bishop's brother's farm. And finally, um, like in 2015, the oldest daughters, uh, they decided that they needed help because the bishop had been molesting the, all of the children this whole time. 
even yeah. while I was there. He had been shunned by the community before I had even gotten to the community, like two years before. So the entire community knew what kind of person he was. The entire um, okay, but no one again, no one stepped up and said, "Whoa, we, you know, we there's a problem here." No, no. Um, he had been shunned for six weeks, and then that was the end of it. All right, and and you know what, Missy, uh, this kind of rips my heart out because you, other victims that went through the same ordeal as you, whether it's in the Amish community or elsewhere, man, uh, you talk about rubbing salt in the in a wound. That's the ultimate thing. Okay, any arrests in the future? I know the answer to this, but I mean, any? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the oldest. Three daughters, they um, told this lady that they knew this lady was a good friend of theirs. And they told her, you know, that their dad had been molesting them. Um, the mother, she knew about it, of course. And um, so this outside lady, she called Child Protective Services. And then um, they decided it was a pretty severe case. So they called the police. And the detective who was called in on the on the case, he was actually reading my book at the time, and he told the social worker, he's like, I think this book is about this person that we're investigating. So they showed the book to the oldest daughter, and she recognized me right away, and she like, she's like, oh yeah, that's Emma, you know, because I took care of them for a long time. And that's how they contacted me. Um, and last August, he was sent to prison for 10 years. Wow. Okay, and, and that's kind of something. It, it's pretty interesting that the, the detective reading your book. Um, yeah. Wow. That to me, that's kind of a that's a god thing. I think, um, in, in a big way. Well, okay. Wow. How are you? First of all, I think you're an inspiration. Thank you for being the inspiration that you are. To this would, what you went through, would could, I should say, uh, paralyze a lot of people mentally, you know, and emotionally paralyze a lot of people. So thank you for being, for, for not letting that paralysis or you, not, not being paralyzed by, by your past. I mean, this is fantastic. Not only that, but coming out and helping others as well who are in the same or similar positions as yourself. And that, that's just so fantastic. Um, but you, but you know what? I, th- I look at your situation, and after reading your book uh, again, folks, uh, our guest Missy Griffin and her book, of course, is uh, Tears of the Silenced. Um, get that on Amazon. I, I look at the situation, and I see that, uh, well, there are other women in similar situations, that are very high profile. I mean, Hillary, look. No, I shouldn't say it. the only the yeah, the victims of Bill Clinton, for example. If I maybe that's kind of a stretch, but you know, society. So what am I trying to say? Society really has, has been uh, aggressive toward the victims of, for example, oh, Bill Clinton. And I'm I'm seeing the so-called feminist movement not providing any help to people like our guest, and, and of course, well, no, because that's not what it's about, right? Um, and we know that, but, uh, you know, uh, Misty, before, I want to make sure we ask you this before uh, we let you go. What are things, uh, our radio show, listeners to our radio show, others who are out there who might hear this can do to help both the Amish and non-Amish victims? 
Um, well, first of all, I think, I'm not sure why, but the world in general seems to um, want to sort of turn a blind eye to abuse. I've heard, like, since I've been out of the Amish, I've heard lots of people say, you know, it's not your business, you know, don't get into it, you know, it's not your family, it's not your problem. And I think the whole world should think of everybody as their problem. You know, everybody should be your problem and, you know, you should be concerned for them because, you know, especially children, that is your future generation. And if they are being abused, you know, they are going, most likely going to be, um, I don't know, maybe not mentally stable or, you know, messed up yeah. in some way. And I, I think that people should just keep their eyes open, and if they think something is wrong, they should do something about it and not just look the other way. I know in my case, there were so many people that could have helped me, so many people I came in contact with that I was too scared to ask them for help, but I gave them sort of like cues, you know, like nurses, they're... Um, you know, one time I went into the doctor's office, all of the skin was off my feet. And, you know, as a nursing student now, I know that, you know, nurses, they are supposed to report that. And nobody reported it. And there were just a lot of people that could have, but didn't. Um, what happened with your sister? Yeah. Bit. Oh, she's Amish. She, she got married. Uh, like, a few months after I, I left the Amish, she got married. She has three children now. Um, do, do you talk to her, or do you, do you keep in touch? And, and is there any animus or tension between you and your sister? Yeah, there's a lot of tension. Um, I'm shunned by the Amish, and she is Amish, so she's forced to shun me. Uh, we write, you know, once a month, every once every two months, but wow. uh, I don't really know her anymore. So it sounds like a what's yeah. that uh, Hollywood? Cult religion, Scientology. Scientology yeah. Sounds uh, like some of the stories you hear from there about you know pitting the family against family. Yeah, Pretty it's very insane. similar. To that. Wow. Well, Missy, in, in the final moments here that we have together, what can you say to other women out there? Perhaps in the, um, what's your message to other women who are perhaps victims of abuse currently, previous maybe? What do you recommend? What would you tell women who are in this situation or finding themselves in the similar situations to you? Uh, what would you say to the women that would be helpful to them in handling what you went through? So um, I guess it's always hard because you never know. You know, each person's situation is so different. Um, for my, In my case, you know, when I think back, you know, I think I should have reported the bishop right away, but I was too scared. I was thinking about myself. It was only when I started thinking about the children that I came forward and was able to report, you know, this person. But I think all women, anybody who's being abused should realize, you know, just because you get out of a situation does not mean that the abuse has stopped. And I think you should always report the abuser because most likely they will go on to abuse somebody else. And I have gotten so many emails from people. You know, they say, I'm 20 years old. I got away from my dad. He was very abusive. And, you know, I have three siblings at home. Do you think I should 
report him? And I'm, I say yes, because if he abused you, most likely he has moved on to those other siblings. And I've had people that have went and reported, you know, their abuser because, you know, they think of that. Um, but if you are in an abusive situation, you know, I, I know the fear that is there. There is always a lot of fear. Um, but I would just encourage you to go to the police or find a friend that can help you and try to get out of that situation because... For one thing, it's not your fault, even if they tell you it is. I mean, it's never the victim's fault. And, you know, if you can find a friend that can help you, that is the the best thing because they're looking, you know, kind of from the outside and they can kind of tell you more, I guess, subjectively what you should do. Um, yeah, just try to find a way out. Yeah. Uh, how's the support from your husband, your family right now? I mean, you've you've... Obviously, you've made a full recovery to the extent that you've married, right, and have a yes. family. Okay. Um, your husband's supportive. Oh yes, very supportive. That's great. So, so there right. is there is life after assault, shall we say? It, not to make oh, a lot yes. of it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. Wow. And, and folks, uh, Missy Griffin, and I want to thank Bill McIntosh for, for connecting us and John for connecting this and making this happen. This book is, this will leave you just, I mean, there, there's so much, there's information and inspiration, but it's really an emotional thing, uh, as well. Tears of the Silence, a true crime in an American tragedy, severe child abuse and leaving the Amish. Many, many people can relate to this. Many have related to this, judging by the f- over 1,400 comments, uh, nearly a five, nearly a perfect five-star rating um, on this uh, very well-written book. And it's been out for, uh, well, since December 2014, uh, and it's still pushing number one on the Kindle edition in uh, in its category. And, Misty, you've done such a great job. I just, oh, thank you. Thank you for all you've done and continue to do for all of us in, in terms of spreading the information that you're giving. Thank you. Oh, God bless you, man. Is there, is there one last thing? Is there aside from buying the book? Is there any other thing we can do to to help you out or to raise awareness? Your awareness? Do you have a website or a social network or anything like that? No, I'm I'm still a little like technologically impaired. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't. Okay. But I mean, I have a Twitter, a Twitter page, but I don't really know how to use it. <laughs> Boy, that, that's that's going around. Uh, no, I that, that's fine. So we are going to promote your book. I love the book, and I want to say thank you for being so brave, and thank you for all that you've done, and thanks for appearing with us. And I come back anytime, dear. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. Wow, what a you know what an incredible story. When I when I read that, it, it, it's it's a, it's a good book. But you know when talking with Misty and, and then getting, uh, folks, don't you find that just um, an amazing thing when when you hear about people not helping? Oh man, I don't know. I'm in trouble if I say what's on my mind. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and and if I'd go, and that's why I'm tongue tied because. You know, what a, what a, what a lovely lady, a young lady. And she went through a lot of, a lot of junk. Um, read the book. Read the book. That's all I gotta say. And, um, 
She's yeah, a, again, the book is uh, yeah. Tears of the Silenced, A True Crime and American Tragedy, Severe Child Abuse, and Leaving the Amish. Again, our thanks to Bill McIntosh of Casa Media. Thank you, Bill, for setting this up. And uh, This is a tough subject. I mean, he, it's a tough subject, but one that many people today have to confront. And as the our society, our culture turns more perverse, um, i got to tell you, it, it, it's... It's just very difficult to, to get over. I, I'll say this. I, I was actually, uh, I was, during my PI days, this is kind of anecdotal, uh, during my PI days I was in the Amish country and I was, uh, I had someone under surveillance. All right. So, in fact, a, a guy that owned a lumber mill employed nothing but Amish. They're famous for that, okay, but nothing but, nothing but Amish. And I got caught conducting surveillance because of the rural area. Anyway, my car was identified. So I was trying to get away and I ended up pulling into the, pulling onto this private road and onto the lumber mill property. Guy came at me with a chainsaw wanting to cut through the, my vehicle because by that time I had amassed a lot of data and, and such on this man. Not one Amish person would help. They all looked at me and basically, you're on your own, pal. Why? Well, I think the answer is obvious, right? Plus the, the, the policemen who responded, because it's a small community, his whole family, except for two, were Amish. I don't know how that works. Almost charged me as opposed to charging the guy with the chainsaw. True story. We'll be right back after these short messages. Pastor David Langford will be our guest. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the Creator to His creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. 
For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. Uh, you know, our, our previous guest, if you didn't catch it, uh, you can you can catch it on uh, the isolated segment on YouTube uh, or go back and listen to uh, Misty Griffin. Our thanks to Bill McIntosh from Ocasa Media for helping John set that interview up. Misty, uh, Tears of the Silence is really trending, still trending as well as it should on Amazon, and, and the subject matter is so, so important, especially today. If you don't understand why it's important, then you're not paying attention, really. But I know our audience does, and we we thank I think we've got the most intelligent audience in the world, or I really do, uh, because you guys are right on top of things. Before we get to Pastor Langford, I, I want to urge everyone to go to T.C. Joseph, the, or Look up T.C. Joseph on Amazon, uh, this generation series of novels. You know, if you're looking for a way to wake others up, and they're, they're not big readers, we'll say they're not big readers of, of, uh, you know, fact-based books. For example, if none dare call it conspiracy wouldn't fly in your neighbor's house, think about these books, three books, Precipice, Pentecost, and Penance. They will engage the reader, uh, through the, oh my goodness, uh, how well T.C. Joseph, the author of this series, how well he has really laid out this fictional story of three families that are really living out biblical prophecy. And if you want kind of a backdoor way of, of waking up that neighbor or friend or coworker, these are the books to get. Now, there are other books like this out there, but none rise to this level of of reading perfection, really. It, Kirkus uh, and Blue Ink both give these books a high rating. That's T.C. Joseph, This Generation Series of Novels, Book 1, Precipice, Book 2, Pentecost, and Book 3, Penance. Get all three, and I guarantee you, you're going to have fun reading them, and uh, it'll be, they're useful tools to awaken others. Folks, uh, 
if you missed the first hour, I would urge everyone to go back and uh, please listen to the first uh, or the first half hour, well, the first hour, but the first half hour of the segment that dealt with the murder of Seth Rich. I think it's important. I know much of the information is out there in various parts and other areas, uh, but I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what right now. This information is key. They do not want they, meaning the powers, do not want that information to get out. The murder of Seth Rich. And, and how the Russian narrative came to be the false meme of Russian hacking when it was a leak as a matter of fact and uh, how this whole narrative began and how Seth Rich played that integral part in this whole uh, this whole meme and I don't like that word but that's what it is and of course we find ourselves today in part through that and I do believe that uh, where we find ourselves, they, they were attempting to uh, quash the information, quash the uh, uh, the fact that the DNC was not a hack, but a leak. And I believe professionally, based on my investigation, and I'm going to have more information when I appear on the InfoWars tomorrow, uh, I, I do suspect I'll be having additional information from sources uh, to talk about this I'll be on InfoWars tomorrow at 1 o'clock, so catch on if you can. Also, the survey on our website, Take folks, do us a solid, right? Now I'm starting to talk like somebody from New York. Do, do us a favor, uh, please. Take the survey on the right-hand side of our website, HagmanReport.com. Look for that box that says, take a survey. Uh, take that survey. It helps us out with our sponsors. And also, do us another favor, do us another solid, right? And subscribe to our YouTube channel, please do that. And also follow us on so, so, social networking as well. And uh, maybe that'll help me take speech lessons. Yeah, I can't uh, I feel like i got too many teeth in my mouth and a tongue that just doesn't work. But seriously, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Tell others about this broadcast. And another thing, follow Pastor David Langford as well. Follow his teachings, his words uh, during in his program, voiceofevangelism.com, who's our guest right now that I've been keeping waiting. We, want, we don't want to do that. Pastor Langford, thanks for your patience. Welcome. Oh, it's my joy. Uh, always a joy to hear the other uh, people that you're interviewing, their status and place in life. Uh, everyone has a story especially Christians who have been down grave roads that have been very disastrous, calamitous, but God always has a way. And that's why it's so important, you know, to have a relationship with God because no matter how ominous and bleak and disparaging things may be, God can turn anything around if you know, and there's that's a big that's a big word. There are fifteen hundred twenty two of them in the Bible. If you know, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And uh, that's how I, we got on the conversation last week, I know people aren't praying, but he's put your content, he puts a contingency there. And he says what he will do if we will pray. If we don't pray, this is what you're going to get. And so it's obvious uh, we all, and I'm included, I need to spend more time in prayer. But um, I want to talk to us about contentment tonight. Um, I was thinking the other day how no matter what people make, somebody will buy it. Uh, I used to preach years ago about people watching too much television. 
I can't preach that no more. They're addicted to a little device that they take with them even to bed, and they get up with it. And it controls their lives. And it's these iPhones, cell phones, whatever they might be. Uh, they're very convenient, needless to say. I'm, I'm aware of that. I very rarely take mine with me anywhere. But I want to go to Philippians 4, because if anyone had a right to complain about his life, would have been Paul the Apostle. But he said in Philippians 4.10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And Paul is talking about contentment. And, uh, you know, when somebody is content, they're satisfied with what they have or they don't have. They're not wanting more or anything else. But they are totally in a state of contentment, peace, placidity. And Paul said, not that I speak in respect of want, or that I have a need in particular, because he was talking to the Philippians about his needs and how that God, through them, had supplied his needs, and they they lacked in supplying them. That concern for Paul was renewed again. But what I think is so profound about what Paul said, he said, for I have learned. This is not something that God gave him. This I would not deem a gift, but we would call it empirical knowledge or experience. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. In other words, Paul came to this place, this position of his own will and volition. And this is why people today can't be content, because they really want something or someone to bring them to that place. And if you want to look at who that person is, of course, it's Jesus Christ. The soul of man is so vast, nothing can satisfy it but God. Uh, One of the great sins, one of the great demonic entities and spirit that's take control of so many people's lives is greed and covetousness. They they can never have enough. Uh, somebody asked a man about how much land did he want to own. He said, only the land that adjoins mine. But that's all the land I want. Which, of course, in a contiguous mode would be everything. But this is something that is Christians and the reason I believe Paul, as I said, he said, I have learned. I've, 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 I've collectively aggregated, I've come to this state of contentment. Through the many years of adversity, the many years of trials, the many years of struggle. But as he got older, and as we all get older, we realize that the things that we once placed much significance on doesn't hold the significance it once had. When you're young, trying to build your career, If you're a parent, you're trying to raise your family, uh, you're trying to build your business, 
uh, you're trying to establish yourself, especially if you're an A personality that you're driven uh, to succeed, uh, you could still be content because contentment is a spiritual place. And you, you can't find that spiritual place in carnal means, modes, or methods. It has to be in the Spirit of God. And that's why Paul, at the end of the day, could say, I have learned, and whatsoever state I am, it doesn't matter if things are just hunky-dory, off the charts, nothing but bliss and joy, or if it's persecution, affliction, anomalies, aberrations, trials, pain, suffering, whatever. He can be content there as well. Now that, that says a lot about this man's walk, and he's no different than, than any of us. You know, he he put on his pants just like any any guy did. I know that's I'll be attacked for that statement, but nevertheless, uh, he strapped on his sandals like any other person would. But he said, I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. You know, when, when you've been abased, uh, that means to be brought very low. And I suppose having been uh, who he was in the Sanhedrin, studying under the feet of Gamal, 35th in line, a direct descendant of the Mosaic Law of Moses, and then to be able to turn around and say, I know how to be abased. I, I, I know what that means. You know, there are people in life that could never make that statement because they've always had wherewithal, they've always had means, they've always had more than other people because of their upbringing or whatever the place or, or position might be. But Paul was emphasizing his humility. Uh, he recognized he too was just a, a mere creature of God. Um, he was totally dependent upon God when he found himself in a place where he was abased. And many times, God will allow us to get into a, a place, a position, or a particular posture for a reason. Um, you know, we, we always quote Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we quote that verse all the time, but what is so significant is the next verse. But you hardly ever hear anyone quote that verse, but if you don't have that verse attached to verse 28, then you don't understand why all things are working together for your good. Verse 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, foreknowledge, prognosis. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So whatever you're going through, the intent, the purpose, the will, the plan of God is for us to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Remember, it was to the church of Philippi that Paul spoke about Jesus Christ and how that Jesus Christ took on himself the form of a man. He was God, but he took on the form of a man, Philippians 2.8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now that's the personification of abasement, brought so low that, you know, well, he was brought so low, he had to be resurrected. And that gives us all, not only hope, 
and the coming resurrection. But your life, your circumstance, and your situations, they too can be brought from the dead. You know, Paul was was uh, stoned, beaten, uh, but until it's God's time, no matter what they did to Paul, they couldn't destroy the man until it was his time. His time was fulfilled. His time was finished. Paul said, I, I, I know how to abound. In other words, I know what it means to have a pocket full of money, eat like a king, travel with royalty. I know both places. As I said, though, he said, I have learned. And that is so significant for each of us to be able to learn these things. And I often say, Lord, we, we need the wisdom when we're young. Before we get married, before we plan our careers, before we decide what we're going to do, we need this wisdom to help us to navigate so that we don't make uh, as many mistakes as we do. And, and that's the great thing about God. Uh, he's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth chances. You know, that's why it's so important to acknowledge God. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge the Lord and he shall direct your paths you know if we don't acknowledge God and what we're doing we're not putting God into the calculation and one of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 32 27 behold I'm the Lord the God of all flesh is there anything too hard for me your last guest is a testimony of how God can get you out of a circumstance get you out of a situation where you can begin to abound you know, I got an email from a, a young man the other day. He was either 22 or 27. I forget how old he was. One of the two. And I was literally blown away because he said, I have been molested both by my mother and my father. <sighs> and I thought, you know, people, I hate whiners. To me, whiners are despicable. Crybabies. Because I've never suffered anything of that magnitude. Yeah, I come from a broken home, but I was never molested. Um, and I thought, what potential of dysfunctionality in his sexuality, in his personal inner emotions, in marriage, matrimony, or as a, as a husband, having a wife, children, having been molested by both parties. I mean, you know, we hear oftentimes, and too many times, of a child being molested by one of the parents, but by both parents, you know? But here's a kid that's determined to make it. He's determined to serve Christ and to press through the aberrations, the anomalies, whatever they might be. And you can be in a place of contentment. That's what Paul was saying. You know, I'm not talking to you, he said, in respect of one. I've learned and whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I'm, I'm not seeking anything more, anything else. And that's why it's so important regarding the will of God. We hear that term thrown about very loosely, loosely. I just want God's will for my life. Well, when Christ was at the most perfect and at the center of God's will was, was while he was on the cross and suffering the greatest, um, in the perfect will of God sometimes could be one of the greatest tempestuous places in your life. But yet you can still have peace on the inside. Here's Christ dying on the cross, 
and he's conscious of his mother. He's conscious of her humanity, her suffering, her emotional distress, how distraught she was as she witnessed his son being eviscerated and crucified. Yet he was he was mindful and conscious of her and her needs. Uh, uh, there's a verse, there's a passage in Psalms 115, 12 and 13 says, The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Abraham. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. And what is so great about that passage is God is always mindful of us. Now, I, I know we're not always mindful of him. That's, that's without a doubt. That's irrefutable. But there's, there's not a time that God is not mindful of his people where they are what their circumstances are, what they're going through, and that's why I love what David said in Psalms one uh, or Psalms thirty-four, fifteen: "The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry." In Psalms one thirty-nine, seventeen, David said, "How precious also are Thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum, or how great is the number of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand." When I awake, I am still with thee. God's thoughts, David said, if I should count them, are more in number than the sand. Now, David is one individual that tells me you could never imagine the number that God could put on a piece of paper and know exactly how many numbers it was. When you think about how numberless his thoughts are to one individual that incorporate six, seven billion people. It, 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 it's off the charts. It's, it's even hard to, I mean, it's so hard to comprehend, Pastor. It, it is. But here's the great thing. I'm not saying that because I perceive that or I think that. That's what God has told me. You know, I, I get aggravated when people want to challenge the word of God because I quote a verse or I say something but they don't know the scriptures they think they know the scriptures but they don't know the scriptures but when you think about the enormity of God and how many how many thoughts multiplying humanity times sand and and he said the sum of them you know and 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 as he told Israel in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, they're not evil but they're good. You know, but of course God being just and righteous, somewhere along the line, America's going to be judged. And uh you know, this deep seated state has got poor old Donald Trump running around like a dog chasing his tail, you know. Um talk of impeachment, same thing. Yeah, people forget Bill Clinton was impeached. But you had uh, the House Republicans, but you had a Democratic Senate, so it couldn't be ratified, so it was, it was really a moot point. They have neither this time, but they're talking of that. And when you, when you look at who people are listening to, you, you think about the people they're listening to and where people get their news, Don Lemon, openly vowed homosexual Anderson Cooper homosexual Rachel Maldow 
homosexual. You, you, if, if somebody doesn't understand their sexuality, you, you think I'm going to listen to anything they've got to say to me? Good point. I mean, really. I mean, it, you know, when you get down to being honest and rightly dividing truth, rightly dividing things, and then say that I am the biased one because I believe what God said is greater than anything that any man has ever said, or what men even say today. But yet, this is what we're dealing with. And, you know, back in October, you know, James Comey was a piece of trash. You know, he, he, he hurt Hillary. And, and now they're for him. This is why we know these people are demon-possessed, they're demonically controlled, and there is absolutely no contentment in whatever state they find themselves. You know, there's that's because there's no relationship with Jesus. Only Christians, only Christians can find a place of contentment in the midst of all the uncertainty, all the fragility that exists in this world. Only a true blood-bought, born-again child of God can say, I'm, I'm at rest, I'm at peace in my soul. You know, um, less and less, I listen to the news, and I watch the news because I've come to understand it's not true. It's, it's just not true. I can't rely on it. Where then can I get the truth? Of course, there are talk shows like yours and others, but I know I can get the truth from the Word of God. I know without a doubt. Now, you're going to have those who are going to debate it, what it says, what it means, what it doesn't mean. You know, um, that to me is irrelevant. It's about relationship. The greater the relationship is, the more you're going to know uh, in any any subject. I don't care what it is from uh, running a crematory to a cement mixer. The more you do it, the more you're involved in it, the more you know about it. And uh, I, I was doing a radio program the other day, and it just, it just hit me in my spirit. You're just not hearing preachers preach fundamentally on hell, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the judgment of God and repentance. It's all about destiny, you know, trying to climb the ladder of success. And and at the at the end of the day, you know, all of those things are irrelevant. I'm due to preach a funeral here just a matter of days of a very close person to me, uh, who has lymphoma, cancer. And um, you know, all I want to know about that person now is how is it with your soul? And they're they're well to do. But I'm I'm making a point to leave tomorrow to be out of town for a few days to visit before they pass away, which as I said is just a matter of time, of maybe a few weeks at the most. But when you get ready to go out into eternity, the reality of mortality sets in. It, it it's a reality. It is powerful. And I, I, I witness in my own life as I get older. I'm, I'm more cognizant. I'm more conscious of it. Uh, I think about it, not in fear, not in anxiety, but the reality of it, you know, my day is coming too. And Paul knew that too. 
And that's why that, those words are so profound and so beautiful. Do we need to take a break? No, Pastor. Um, we'll, we'll continue on. We <clears throat> had our first guest carried over a little bit, and it kind of screwed up our, our show clock, but we uh, we got our, our live reads and everything out of the way. Plus, uh, oh. Pastor, we don't want to disrupt your thought, as we just did. So. No, but I want to be aware and conscious of, of your, your programming and stuff. But in Second Timothy 4, 6, Paul said, For I am now ready to be offered at the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but all them also that love his appearing. So, you know, Paul knows his day, his days are just that. They're numbered. He's, he's about to be... Uh, beheaded and he's reached that place thus he says for I am now ready to be offered he, 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 at this point in his life he is fully content the time of my departure is at hand I'm leaving I'm going somewhere that, that's what that tells me I'm going somewhere I'm going to die but the man on the inside is going somewhere he says, I have fought a good fight. This is the only fight in life really worth fighting. This is the only good fight. You know, most of the time, most fights are just not any good. Too much carnage, too much detriment, too much loss, too much destruction, too much chaos. But Paul called it a good fight. He says, I have finished my course. God had ordained a path, a direction, a plan for his life. He said, I finished it. And through all of this hardship, the fact that I learned to be content in what service state I found myself, he said, I, that has allowed me to keep the faith. I kept the faith, and my faith kept me. Your, your faith is the only thing that I know of spiritually that you take with you when you leave this old body, your faith. Either you have that saving, redeeming faith abiding in you, or you don't have it, one or the other. And Paul said, I have kept the faith because he kept the faith. His faith kept him. And then he said, henceforth, there is later for me a crown of righteousness. Now, there are five crowns. I won't get into all those tonight. But there are five crowns mentioned in the New Testament. And this is one of them, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Paul is assuring every believer, every child of God, you will receive the same thing. But you too have to finish your course. You have to fight this good fight. And you have to keep the faith. You know, and, 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 and that's how you know you have a relationship with God is because the devil is always attacking you. Satan is always on the attack. He's always plotting evil. Uh, you know, I've said from day one, you know, we need to pray for Donald Trump. Pray for him every day. Cover him in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because it, it reminds me so much of Yigshot Rabin back in the 90s when they were negotiating with Yasser Arafat, the PLO, and a little 22-year-old college student was able to get in behind him and kill him with a little 22 handgun, 22 pistol handgun. So that tells you the Mossad 
let down, willfully, blatantly, intentionally let that kid get in behind him and shoot him in the back. But the satanic system continues to go right on. And there were those who were in opposition to Yikshah Rabin because he was willing to have peace at any cost, at any price. And that's, this kid would be called a fanatic, of course, and he was. But he was desirous to stop the path that Yeshat Rabin was taking Israel. And Benjamin Netanyahu has been, in a way, the same type of a guy. You, know, you had uh, Ehud Barak, different ones that followed uh, uh, Yeshat Rabin, Ariel Sharon. But now there's a man there that's almost unyielding and adamant, we're not going to divide Jerusalem. And now there's talk of moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which that will, man, that, if, if nothing does not stoke a third world war, then we're not going to have one, but we're going to have one. Uh, because right. that's going to signify Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Now you hear the talk about the Western Wall. I mean, they're even debating is that part of that. But that's why we know we're reaching a threshold, and that's why I felt like God gave me that analogy, the pause button has been pushed. But when he hits it back, we're going to pick right back up. I don't know when, where, or what it will be. But we're going to pick right back up at that same longitude, latitude, speed, whatever you want to deem it. We're going to pick right back up there. and Because not, nothing has changed except the fact that the pause button has been pushed. And so there are times in our lives as we travel our course that God has ordained and chosen for us, he puts us in a pause position. And Joseph is a fine example of that when they put Joseph in the pit. And we've all used the term, man, this is the pit. This stink. This is rotten. Why you? Why do you have me here, God? Well, God was waiting for the caravan of Midianites to get there to pick him up, take him to Egypt where God ordained him to be. And of course, when they got closer, the brethren decided, well, we'll just sell him into slavery, kill an animal, put blood on his coat of many colors, and feign his death, and the old man won't know any difference. And we'll, 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 we'll have ended this little dreamer. But you don't stop God. And so sometimes God pushes the pause button in our lives and puts us in a pit. And it's very uncomfortable. Uh, I'm sure it was dark, moldy, uh, you know, probably uh, stank to some degree. I don't know. And uh, but we have no record ever of Joseph once complaining about where he found himself. Just like Paul. I've learned. And watch service day, and I am therewith to be content. Joseph could say the same thing. I know how to be abased. I've been in the pit. I've been in prison. I know how to abound. I'm second of all Egypt. I am the viceroy. I am the prime minister. But everywhere and in all things, as Paul says here in verse 12, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Now, what a dichotomy, to be full and to be hungry. I mean, that's like, how, how, can, you, how can you be like that? Well, if you look at that in the Spirit, he can be full of the grace of God, full of the Holy Ghost of God, and yet physically he can be hungry. Not, not hungry for spiritual things, because Matthew six thirty three, Jesus said, uh, 
Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's Matthew 5 and 6. I said 6.33. 5 and 6 said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, spiritually, Paul knew what it meant to be full. Cup running over, spiritually speaking. Physically, destitute, without. He said, I'm, I'm abased. I'm hungry. Then he says, both to abound and to suffer need. I know what it means to abound. Have plenty of food. Have plenty of clothing. Have plenty of rest. Plenty encouragement. And I know what it means to suffer need. And this is the path that all Christians travel. You, you may not enjoy it. You may not want it. You certainly won't pray for it because it's, it's it's a life of suffering, you know, and that's why if Christianity were so easy, everybody would be a Christian. And we have a lot of false and fake Christianity out there today. That's without a doubt. I mean, when you got and witness the things that we witness, the the flagrancy of sin, abortion sodomy and all of these things and, and yet people say I'm but I'm still a Christian. You know, that's 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 cynical. That's that's ludicrous. That that, that can't be. But Paul, as he witnesses to the Philippians and tells them, I'm instructed. I'm instructed. This is what I've been told. And as I said that you can apply that how how can a man be full and be hungry at the same time? Well you got to understand He's not just talking about food. He's full of God's Word. He's full of God's Spirit. He's full of God's presence. And yes, he is hungry. And he's going to hunger even for more righteousness. But he also can be hungry physically. And, and, and to have more than enough. When, when Paul was told by God, my grace is sufficient for thee in, in the Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Anytime there is sufficiency, there is more than enough. You may not have a whole loaf of bread, but you've got enough to make a half a dozen sandwiches. You've got 12 slices. You, sufficiency is more than enough. So when Paul was told by Jesus Christ, my grace is sufficient for thee, for in thy weakness my strength is perfected. And so then Paul, to the church at Corinth, he tells them, well, knowing this, seeing this, understanding this, he said, I glory in this. Now, that, that, that takes somebody that's got a, a relationship that's untold. You know, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities or my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, now, Anytime you see the word therefore, it always means as the results of something. As the results of the power of Christ resting upon him. In verse 10 he says, therefore, as the results of that power abiding in me and upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in necessities. I take pleasure in persecutions. I take pleasure in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, how many of us could brag about suffering? You know, Second Corinthians eleven thirty, Paul said, "If I must needs glory, I will glory 
of the things which concern my infirmities or my weaknesses. God is an amazing God. And so the Spirit is a spirit of revelation, opening our understanding to the deep things of God. And then Paul concludes, not the chapter, but this segment, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And those are some of the greatest quoted words of the Apostle Paul in any time in history since he penned those words to any church, to any denomination, to any organization. I can do all things through Christ. See, that's the key. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. For by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul said. Again, God's grace is more than enough. It's more sufficient than any need that we have. Whatever whatever the need might be, and, you know, I believe we're, we're getting ready to enter into a time of great trust, or I should say the need of great trust. Uh, when this thing finally, you know, when the last death knell is driven in the coffin, the trust in God is going to have to already be there. You're not going to be, you know, have to get a, a quick, you know, education. Paul said, I have already learned in whatsoever state, whatever condition I find myself, I've learned to be content. And, you know, Doug and Joe, most people can't say that today. They, 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 they just can't be content. And, and, I, and I'm certainly not ap, uh, an advocate of apathy and complacency and lethargy. I think we all should be busy. You know, uh, Jesus said, occupy till I come. Uh, we, we need to be about the Father's business as Jesus was. But you can also be occupying and striving and contending for the faith, but you can also be content. And, and regretfully, so many people today... They just, they can't be content. They, nothing, as I said earlier, the soul of man is so vast. Nothing can satisfy that void, that emptiness, that vacuity, but God and his presence. You know, after all the, the wild life that many of us lived, uh, the whoredom, the drunkenness, whatever, you know, you're still empty. You're still empty. I, I think about so many times of all these famous rock stars and movie stars and how they all ended up, whether it was intentional or accidental, overdose, alcohol and drugs. You know, they, they get so sedated, their involuntary actions uh, shut down, and I don't think it's intentional. Uh, I, I just think it's they can't be content. You, know, you would think with some of the statue of some of the people in life why, why could you not be content? But without God, you'll never be content. Yeah. It doesn't matter Pastor, who you are. I'm sorry. No, yeah, and I apologize for the interruption, but I, I was just kind of thinking as you were talking, is, is not the lack of contentment directly related to the spiritual bankruptcy that, that or the spiritual vacuum that appears to Absolutely. be? Uh, yeah, okay. All right. You know, Paul said to be carnal-minded is death. To be spiritually-minded is life and peace. Romans 8, 5. You know, 
And and so you, you nailed it on the head right there. To be carnally minded is death. To be carnally minded says I can never be content. To be spiritually minded is life and peace or life and contentment, fulfillment. You know, all I want for the rest of my years that I have left is just win souls. I'm, I'm not striving. I'm not contending. I am really praying about the meeting in Branson. Uh, I'm expecting something supernatural to happen there. I'm expecting God to open a door there for one purpose, reaching more souls. I, I don't, you know, people may say, well, you're just feigning that, pretending that. You know, that's not the truth. It is the truth. I, I don't care anything else in life anymore about one thing, and that's winning souls, because that's what I have been called to do. Now, I know people will argue that, debate me very contentiously about all sorts of matters, but at the end of the day, I think I have my priorities in order, because I am around mortality all the time. I deal with it in many different various ways, whether I want to or not. But that's why souls are so important to me. And this is why you got people focusing on the, as the boy said, they are majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. And I, I witness television, Christianity, radio Christianity, so many ministries and ministers, and there's absolutely no emphasis on the person's eternal destiny with God. Oh, well, they talk about destiny, but it's the latter success destiny. It's riches, it's fame, it's uh, popularity, uh, prosperity. Hey, I've stood by the bedside and watched a lot of people go out into eternity. I've gotten phone calls, and so-and-so just got killed in a car wreck, so-and-so just committed suicide, so-and-so just did this. And my first thought is, where did they go? Where, where did they go? Where were they in, in their relationship with Christ at that point in time? As I said, I'm going to leave tomorrow for several days uh, to go be with someone because I've got to preach their funeral. And as a minister, I want to be able to stand before the congregation and relay this person's profession, confession of faith, you know, because there's nothing more stressful on a minister, if he is a true minister of God, to have to preach a sinner's funeral. That he, you know by all outward circumstances and everything, uh, the lifestyle that they lived, et cetera, et cetera, that there was just no way they could have made it. Uh, of course, at the end of the day, we're still not the judge. But to still be under the burden, to be under the pressure, to eulogize, you know, someone of that nature, no one knows the pressure that you have to stand there before a hundred or five hundred or a thousand people and eulogize a decedent who I know was not where they needed to be with God. They were not content. They were not spiritual, you know, whatever the case might be, and to have never have been there is why it's such it's such contempt for those of us who have been there to mock us and to ridicule us because you see now this is where the rubber meets the road you know Satan told God 
let me touch Job's flesh. For all that a man hath will he give for his life. Just let me touch his flesh. And God said, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. And he was confident he could cause Job to curse God and die. And even his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? And he said, woman, you talk like a foolish woman. But his spiritual integrity was so it was so rich, so great in his relationship with God. That's why uh, when the Lord said, Has thou considered my servant Job? The devil didn't say, Well, who, who are you talking about? Who, who's this man, Job? I don't know who you're speaking of. There was no hesitation. The response was, Well, Job doesn't serve you for any reason. you got a hedge about him. You know, you, you've blessed him. You've been good to him. And that's the only reason he serves you. But take down the hedge. Let me afflict him. Let me get to him. And he, I'll cause him to curse you to your face. But see... Job is another man that was content. Look at all the riches. During his time, he's believed to be one of the richest men, men when that was written. And it's believed that Moses also wrote the book of Job. Many people believe Job was the first book written. But having all the she-asses, the camel, the oxen, the family, the children, sons, daughters, etc., all of it's gone in a day. And then in another day, his health is gone, and he's left with nothing. And, and yet you see a man who remains content. And, of course, God doubled everything in Job's life. Everything he had, he doubled it. Why? Job, without a doubt, stayed content. Yes, his humanity came out at certain times. He said, oh, if I could just get an audience with God and explain my case to God, I know that God would see it my way. And there'd be no doubt. God would overwhelmingly justify me, and God would obliterate all my foolish friends. But when he got his audience with God, it didn't turn out like he thought it was going to turn out, because in Job 38 it says, and the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? How dare you darken my counsel, and you have not the full knowledge of who I am? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shut up for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors when it broke forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud, the garment there, and thick darkness, a swaddling band for it, and broke up for it my decree place, and set bars and doors. And of course... Job says, I think I'll put my hand over my mouth because I think I've said too much. Of course, God did redeem Job and gave him everything that he had and twice more, but he wasn't expecting the rebuttal from God that he got because 
he knew in his humanity, or he felt like, if I can just get an audience with God, and I can tell God my side of the story, which God, of course, certainly knew, we don't have to explain anything to God. God already knows. If God knows the number of hair on your head, he knows everything about your life. He knows everything about your life. There's nothing lacking, nothing missing that God is not aware of. That's the great thing about serving God. He knows everything about us anyway. You know, uh, uh, as a pastor, you know, people say, well, you caught me doing this. I said, I didn't caught you doing anything. I'm not a, an investigator. I'm not a detective. I'm not looking for evidence. I'm not a criminal investigator. Uh, but well, there's uh, people in the church doing worse things than I'm doing. And that judgmental spirit comes out so abruptly, so quickly, because they want to find fault in someone else to justify why they do what they do. But there again, there's a lack of contempt. And I, and I just want to encourage the people tonight. I hope this encouraged someone that right now feels like things are not going like you would like them to go. Maybe you feel like the scales Somebody's put their finger on the scales, and it's it's very unjust, the balance is. Or that you're going through a particular situation, that you're as innocent as innocent can be, but everything that's coming at you appears, though, that you're as guilty as can be. There's a reason we go through places in our lives. And I believe sometimes it is to check our contentment. Are you really content? You know, I could say a lot of things, but living it, you know, as one fellow said, it's easy to preach it. It's a whole lot harder to live it. When when it, when it comes time to live it, when it comes time to have integrity and nobody's watching you, will you still do the right thing? Will you still say the right thing? Will you do that? And, of course, we live in a world where, man, they'll tell you anything you want to hear to satisfy you. And so if they walk away, they, they know they lied to you. I mean, we we watched our government so many times, time after time, year after year, legislation after legislation, and yet they continue to lie. And that's how you know these people have no God consciousness. That's how you know they have no place of contentment. You know, if you're really content, what's the purpose in lying? If, If you're really content, if you're really fulfilled in how you find yourself, whether it's to be abased or whether it's to to abound, What's the intent and the purpose of lying? It's to deceive you. That's what Satan did to Eve. See, she had everything, lacked nothing, but Satan lied to her and led her to believe, you're not really content. God's withholding from you. God's holding back. There's much more. But, you know, then, then she's brought to a place of decision. Who am I going to believe, God or the devil? Well, guess who she believed? The devil. Guess who she made the liar? God. But she was in a place of absolute paradise, contentment. And yet, the devil was able to deceive her and make her believe, God is cheating you. God is robbing you. God is withholding from you. That's that's not the kind of God that we serve. That's why Paul closes the phrase, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It doesn't matter what I'm confronted with. You know, I said to my son the other day about funerals, and I said, you know, I don't understand sometimes why I have had to preach 
this person, this person, this person, this person, why I have had to do that. I, I don't know why that was my lot in life, why God put that on me. And, and to those of you out there who claim your ministers and your prophets and your seers and your sages, and you have a website, you have a microphone, and you've never preached a funeral or had to do that, you, you don't know anything about ministry. You really don't. You just you just talk a good game. But when you're put under that pressure, you know, and I don't even think about using the word performance, but when you're put under that pressure and every word that you say, everything that you breathe is is so magnified, so scrutinized. I mean, Doug, you know how it is just doing a talk show. You right. just say the wrong thing, man. You get 108 emails because <laughs> they don't like the way you said something. That's right. You know? And right. that shows you who these people are. Well, put yourself in that situation when you've got, especially when there are going to be a lot of strange people, you don't even know who they are. And you're, you're there and you're placed in that situation to eulogize a decedent, and there's somebody there uh, that, that, no matter what you say, is going to say, that's a lie. That man, that woman that's in that casket, they're, 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 they're nothing. They're, tra- they're, they're trashed, you know, or whatever. And you don't know if they're going to come in high, drinking liquor, doing drugs, and, uh, you know, create a, a ruckus in a funeral. So I've seen it all, man. Ha, I've seen it all. And, uh, and, and the pressure that we all go through sometimes. And that's why Paul said, pray one for another. Uh, I had a guy ask me today, Galatians 6, 2, Paul said, so fulfill the law, the law of Christ and bear ye one another's burdens. He said, is that the Mosaic law? I said, absolutely not. That's the law of the prophets. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might, and love thy neighbors thyself. That's the law that Paul is talking about there in Galatians 6 and 2, and I know a lot of you didn't know that tonight, so now you really learned something special tonight. When Paul said, so fulfill the law of Christ, bear ye one another's burdens, that means help your neighbor as you'd help yourself. Drop on down to Galatians chapter 6 there in verse 10. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Not the Mosaic law, but the law of the prophets of loving God with all your heart, loving your neighbor as yourself. And of course, when you have that kind of love, you'll find that place of contentment. You'll, you'll just lie down at night. And you, you go to sleep. Yeah, you've got problems. I'm going to get up in the morning with problems. We all are. We're all going to get up with difficulties. But I can be content and not worry about what others may say or think. Because, see, Paul said, I'm judged of no man. Because I, I judge myself. See, I'm looking out for me first. I've got I to gotta keep me straight before I talk to others, as Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.27 But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest thou be enemies. When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And the word castaway there is a dikios, which means a reprobate. The same thing as in Romans 1.28 God turned them over to a reprobate mind because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So a castaway and a reprobate are the same thing, say, in the Greek. So all of those of you who think you can't lose your salvation, Paul is worried about losing his. He said, I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a reprobate. Look it up. The number's 96, and your strong exhaustive concordance. So, but see, contentment, thank God, 
contentment in Christ negates all of that. If I'm not content in Christ, you'll never find it in this world, no matter where you go, what you do. I hope we said something to encourage someone tonight. Indeed you have, Pastor. You've reached a lot of people, and I could tell just from the emails I'm getting already, wow, the difference between apathy and and, uh, contentment, uh, two separate things, and contentment can only be found. Amen, brother. In the spirit. In the spirit. Amen. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much. God bless you, and God bless everyone. And I pray every mother had a wonderful Mother's Day this past Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Our moms are special. Our wives are special, Pastor. Absolutely. Your gift from God. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you, sir. Have a great night. That'll do it for us. Wow. Till tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening. 